you can have a t-ball team in that other dugout. That's all they're going to do is test us. It doesn't matter who they are, or it could be the Yankees. They're just going to test us, and we have to handle what they do to us. And if we can't handle that, then the onus is on us. It's our fault. It's not. It's not what they did to us. It's. 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 We were not able to solve what they did to us. And so, that's our big, big system is to worry about us. Our biggest opponent is us. No weak mindedness. Don't let them tell you talk. Don't let them tell you you can only go three damn innings. I mean, don't don't, don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. Um, no weak-mindedness. Uh, the mind will shut the body down way before the body shuts the mind down. And um, so what if somebody doesn't believe we can get to Omaha? I do. So what if somebody believes we can't win a national championship? I do. I don't buy into all that. I don't think you need no charge. I don't think you need anything. I think you need to go out there and, and, and win the battle over you. If we can do that, we can be good. Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome back to the pod. College Station Bound. It's been too long since we've been able to do this. We've got a couple of special guests in this episode. It's going to get us primed and ready for the regional this weekend. Two fan favorites, Mr. Hunter Moody. Everybody pretty much knows that name around Cajun Nation in the program. We also got Brennan Bro. Another very well-liked, and uh, I would call him a fan favorite, um, local son, guy who's been around the program for years and years. Get some insight on last year's team, this year's team, what they think about the regional coming up this weekend. And in Hunter's, Hunter's case, you know, talked about 2007, the last time we were in College Station. So please enjoy the episode. We loved doing this one. It's a, there's a lot of laughs, a lot of good information. Uh, and at the very end, the guys will preview the teams in depth stick and stay so really excited today to have a uh, a pitching legend if you will for the raging cajuns he is the winningest pitcher in ul history he's tied for second in innings pitch Tied for second in game started. He was an All-American, All-Central Region, All-Sun Belt, and he is the pride of Clinton, Louisiana, <laughs> Mr. Hunter Moody. Hunter, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh, thank you all for having me, guys. I uh, I, I listen to you, to y'all's show. Uh, once I see a pop-up uh, new episode, I, I, I really like what y'all are doing. So appreciate y'all having me. Well, we're happy to have you on. We thought the timing was right with, with us being in the – uh, college station regional last time we were in the college station regional 2007 so that's why we mm-hmm. thought it was it was relevant to have you on this week to to kind of talk about that uh, but before we get into that season how the hell you been what you been up to man a lot of life man i've uh you know i had a couple years there with the uh the blue jays and in, in their system and then uh from from there, got into uh, corporate America or carpet America, as Coach Robe used to call it. 
uh, I've been working. I'm a, a land man, been employed as a land man since, uh, since my playing days ended there, uh, 2009, 2010. So, um, been doing that, uh, as a career and, uh, I'm married my wife, Natalie, and, uh, our, our three kids We've got an 11 year old boy, Cannon, six year old girl, Ava Claire, and a three year old, uh, little boy Cruz, uh, class of, I don't know, 20, 20, 40 or something, but, but he's the one we got to watch out for. Lefty or righty? Do we know that yet? Well, man, uh, luckily he is a, uh, he is a lefty swinger and a righty thrower right now. So, nice. um, I don't know. He may be a catcher. He, he's got his mama's height, so he may be, uh, he may be lower to the ground there. He may be playing hey, catcher. There ain't anything we can do, wrong with that. That's right. We can work with that. We could work with that. Kip Burtman once once was quoted as saying somebody was he pitched with both arms. He was amphibious, so he might be amphibious. You know, you got time to he figure that be. out. He may be. So uh, let's go back to that 2007 season, man. It was I, I went back and looked at at first what I remembered of that season, and then kind of what the statistics were. Started the season ten and ten and zero. Um, had a couple really good sweeps. Um, really had a solid season. We ended, I mean, more than solid. We ended the regular season at 40 and 14. We were talking about potentially being a host or at that point, even a national seed because we, we had played so well through that season. We got into the conference tournament and here's what I remember. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Game one, we were playing um, South Alabama and I think we won the game three, two. And I remember at the very end, we were tied two two and the bases were loaded. We ran out of position players Uh and a pitcher, John Zorich, Uh came in and hit. Do you remember that? And he got hit, actually. Yes. Yes, I do remember that. I do remember that. And I want to say that same game. That was actually an game, right? Yep. 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 I remember that. That was the, was that the first game of of, the second game? That was the first game. game of the tournament. Yeah, and where where did we play in 07? That was in uh, – That was in Mobile. It was yeah, at their stadium, and Mo- yeah. And Mobile, yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right. Uh, yes, I do remember that game, Zorch. Uh, anytime a pitcher can get an A-B – now, now Zorch was a little bit of a two-way player, but anytime a, a, a pitcher can get in there and get an A-B, we, we're usually pulling for him. So uh, it's a good thing he got hit too because I think Robe told him not to swing and <laughs> – he definitely was going to take some hacks. So I think it's, I think it's, it was in his best interest. He got plunked. Just out of curiosity, have you, I mean, what would you have done? Had you been put into that position? Would you like be swinging even though you were told not to, or would you, would you listen to direction there? Well, uh, I, I want to say this was my senior year in 08 kind of had a game. I forget who we were playing extra innings ran out of position players. I had pitched the night before I was actually on deck uh, I was going to pitch it, and Rope told me, "Say, hey, we got a pinch hit right here. You're going up there. We're out of guys. Do not whatsoever. Do not even think about swinging." Uh, <laughs> I said, "Yes, sir." In my head, I said, "I'm going to get three big ones if I Daddy, can get up there." Daddy I'm, 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 I'm getting three. Uh, but I, I think the guy in front of me, I want to say, maybe got a hit, and we ended the game. So I didn't get the hit, but uh, that was uh, I got very close. Degs uh, would be it, like, swing away, baby. Swing away. No That's right. <laughs> he'd, he'd have loved my mentality there. Now, it would have probably been pretty ugly. I mean, it might have been a K real quick, but uh, I was going to get my money's worth. Uh, uh, but that was that was, that was was an awesome moment. I just remember that being one of the weirdest ends to, to a baseball game that I think yeah. I had seen up to that point. Yep. But we didn't win the tournament. We ended up losing to UNO in the final. And right. I think that may have potentially cost us a host spot because if I remember – 
and and I may be confusing this with another season, but I remember Dan McDonald on like the post selection show call, and he was like just firing statistics at at the uh, the the committee chairman, just telling him we're this RPI, we have this many wins, and just kind of listing out why we should have hosted instead of A and M. So I guess my question to you is, do you remember that? And if so, do you remember if the team felt disrespected going to this regional or um, just business as usual? No, that's a good point. And yeah, I, I do recall that. I I, I want to say we were somewhere around maybe a twelve or a thirteen, almost a slam dunk host spot, and. I actually forgot until you mentioned it there. It, I think it did kind of get down to us or A&M, which would have flipped it, you know, one way or the other uh, where we ended up going to College Station. But, uh, you know, maybe a little disrespect there. Uh, I, I remember having conversations. I remember being somewhat floored when they announced the host sites because, you know, we were kind of thinking we were, you know, going to be a shoe-in for a host site. So, uh, you know, that provided, a, I think, a little bit of motivation there for us. So kind of moving on to the regional itself, we ended up going two and two. We uh, we opened up with a win. Gosh, was it Ohio State? Ohio State. Okay. And then we played AM in that second game, which was the one that Tadford just made those unbelievable catches. Yep. I, I guess tell us a little bit about the entire experience at College Station. I'm sure the atmosphere, from what I remember, was insane. Um, mm-hmm. Or Red got kicked out of the stadium yeah. but and i remember i remember watching it on tv and marla was 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 shaking her finger at somebody but mm-hmm. um besides that i know the atmosphere would have been crazy tell us a little bit about your experience there and, and maybe some things that stand out to you as part of that regional oh man that this of, of all the i guess places i played and in, in my career and i guess of all the games that one game stands out i mean that was the most fun most competitive you know most I guess uh, most to lose, uh, not just the game uh, and the competition of it, but also, like you mentioned, the, the atmosphere there. You know, I mean, earlier that year, we had, uh, towards the end of the season, we had played, Air, uh, yeah, 07, Arizona State, and uh, they were number one team in the country. They had seven, eight big leaguers on that team. Uh, so that was a, a bigger environment, not as rowdy as what clearly was there at A&M, but I uh, – I tell people all the time, you know, I'd heard of their Aggie, their, uh, their fight song is where they lock the arms and they sway. But, um, I can remember being in the bullpen down the left field line before the game warming up and it's already packed, whatever they had in there, five, six, 7,000 fans. And, uh, Blaine LaFleur and I, uh, working in the bullpen and they started, I guess, practicing their chant, uh, pregame. They did the, uh, I think it's the Aggie War Hymn, where they sway back and forth. And the old stadium, before they renovated it, those stands, even that second deck on the field, kind of felt like they were hanging over the catcher's mound, if you will. So I remember me and Blaine just stopping what we were doing and watching that and said, come here. Uh, dude, I've never seen anything like this. He was like, <laughs> I know, we just had to work through it. Uh, so, you know, before the game, we got kind of a taste there. Um and then, like I said, once the game starts, you know, you have so many people there. Those are intense fans, well-trained fans, feel like they're hanging over the top of you. You know, we got 100 people up and tucked in the very top corner over there, you know, so we can barely hear our folks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, throughout that whole game, I mean, the intensity, I mean, what was at stake? Kind of like we mentioned earlier, kind of having a little bit of chip on our shoulder of not being able to host. Um, 
you know, it it was a it was a, a, a crazy, I guess, roller coaster of emotions working through that game. Um, and we had heard some of their, you know, traditions they would do during the game. You know, I mean, they have uh, the train, I assume it still runs behind the right field wall. One of the things they would do there, we knew going into it, their scouting report is, I think their their tradition is as when you hear the trains coming through, they they start guessing. Everybody holds up fingers. How many, I think it's how many engines are on the train. So everybody starts screaming, one, two, three, you know, whatever they think is coming through. But typically if A&M's hitting in and got guys on base, it gets really loud. The train's blowing its horn. They try to do, you know, a bunt, a hit and run or whatever. So, you know, we were aware of that. Um, but just I, I can remember being on the mound uh, trying to control some of the running game, right? Mixing up my looks or uh, mixing up my timing on pickoffs the first, step off, hold, hold, step off. And after a couple of them, the, the fans would notice, and I remember they start chanting, Hunter Stalling, Hunter. You know, so you, you hear that kind of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> and I remember, too, Coker got hit in the ankle, like hit by pitch. And, like, every time he would come up to bat, they'd go, ouch, ouch, every time he, yep, he like, right. wait on that foot. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that, uh, yeah, in fact, they're even so good at remembering those kind of things. That is one thing they did. Two days later, we were playing them, and I believe it was uh, Josh Logan. But two days later, when yeah, we played yeah. A&M the second time, I don't think Josh was in the lineup. I remember they hit a foul ball in the game, kind of right past the dugout, and Josh jumped out real quick to go pick it up. Even then, not in the game, two days prior, got hit in the shin. As soon as he took off to go get that foul ball, they hit him. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. That's so they're so they're on uh they're on top of it. Um I can remember one of the, one of my favorites in the game when an opposing coach goes out to the mound uh to talk to the pitcher, I think they start chanting uh touch his butt, touch his butt. And if you know, you know the baseball uh butt slap. And so after the mound visit, if they if the coach gives the little butt pat, they go, dirty old man dirty old man and if he walks away without the butt pat they go tease so it's it's all kind of little things like that for this like do they have this playbook that <laughs> that i think they know? practice yeah, yeah i think it's just bred in them from uh from birth they must no they they have one of the best fan bases in america period i mean obviously uh but so for hunter 2007 right mm -hmm. you're a junior now you've contributed a ton already to the program this is kind of like the pinnacle of your career at this point. You go to College Station, and you're going to pitch. How did you feel going in? You, you already said it was probably the most insane atmosphere you had been in front of to that yeah. point. How did you feel, and what was the feeling on the field with the guys around you, the infielders? How, you know, Did you have an exchange with Luke that stands out? I, I'm just curious about how it – were there moments that stuck out to you to this day that you can go back and pick out and, and you know, mention? Yeah. Well, truth be told, going into that game, uh, the year prior, 06, we had actually played A&M in an early season tournament over in uh, San Antonio at their double-A stadium. And I actually pitched and, and I threw a complete game, either gave up one run or a complete game shutout. So truth be told, I knew I'd played against a lot of those guys uh, in summer ball and having faced them the year before, they had a lot of the same returning guys. I kind of went into it with a pretty good level of comfort, which I typically did. You know, I was pretty confident going out there. You know, I trusted what I had. Uh, but after having pitched against them and having that much success the year before, 
I went in there kind of knowing what I was up against, so to speak, you know, still had the, you know, proper respect you give anybody you go and face, but, you know, we had beat them, you know, fairly handily the year before. So uh, I, I think myself with everybody else on the team, I, I, I think we went in expecting to win, expecting to fight, but expecting to win. Um, and actually, which, you know, I guess we can get to a little bit later, but the starting pitcher in that game in 06, Kyle Tebow, uh, he had started against me the game in 06. I think we ran him after a couple innings, which, you know, he pitched and threw a complete game shutout or complete game. I think he gave up two runs. The final game of 07 looking like, you know, the best creative player pitcher you could ever imagine. So uh, a lot of, a lot of interesting facts between those, those two years. Yeah, for sure. So 07 had a bunch of dudes on it. Obviously, yeah. you know, a young Luke, Hatfield, obviously, we talked about had a little bit, or I'm sorry, not Hatfield. Hatfield was on that team, but I'm thinking of Jeffrey's Tat. Yep. Uh, he was an absolute dog. I mean, there's so many, we can go up and down, but that was a confident, a confident group of dudes. Mm -hmm. And if I if I remember right, 06, we got hosed on, on a postseason appearance. Was that 06 or was that 05? Yeah. 06, 06, we did, yeah. 06, yeah. That was one of those where, uh, and that may have been the season Nick was kind of thinking about too, where we dropped a game. I think we are 39 and 20. We had dropped the game. There was one that stood out. We had lost the big lead towards the end of the year, but we missed out, and there was a lot of speculation. If we'd have had cleared that 40-win threshold, just one yeah. more game across, you know, throughout the year, we, we would have made it in. Um, yeah. so, so in 07, you come back. You have basically the same group. You, you have dudes on that team. Mm -hmm. You guys went in expecting to win that weekend, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 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 you could see it on the field, and I'm, I say this all the time. 2007 was one of our best teams we ever had. It doesn't get talked about enough, but talk about the difference between, you know, expecting to win and, you know, maybe kind of just being happy to be there. I think that maybe you experienced maybe both of those things in throughout your career as a Cajuns pitcher. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I can really, you know, relate to the, the expecting to win. And I think going back even before 07, I think for me, you know, my first year was, was 05, but I think that, that team, that 05 team really for me instilled the confidence and created uh instilled the culture and what's expected you know those teammates clearly paired with our coaches and, and coach Rowe. but um you know that's that's the standard at ul right we expect to win these games um you know getting into that 07 season you know I agree with you that's that's one of the my the, that probably is my favorite team I played on in, in my four years there um but the confidence, I think, comes – you had a lot of guys that had had already experienced, experienced success and experienced it together, right? So, you know, on the pitching side of it, you had some older guys, myself, Buddy, Matt Pilgreen, Andrew Lauder. Uh, if you all remember those two guys, those were two bullpen guys, glue guys. Uh, that kind of set the tone there. Uh, and then on the offensive side of it, you know, the guys you mentioned, Luke Croy, Nolan, uh, Tapford, Bandekir, uh, Will Long, really everybody in the lineup, even Hatfield. I mean, as 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 much as you could call him a spot player, Colin was my, my roommate. We call him Fathead. He'd, oh, dude, he'd, he had one of the most yeah. awesome games as a pinch hitter I've ever seen. At home, late in the season, I don't remember. It was a conference game, but he went out and hit like three bombs and hit, had five hits or some crazy. I, I can't remember exactly what happened. But I, I remember leaning over to whoever I was sitting with, and I said, why does he not play every day? And it was yeah. the whole thing. But, yeah, Colin had a hell of a game this this one particular afternoon. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that was actually at a FIU because he had to fly out the Sunday game, take care of some some personal business. And uh, I think just Claire got on first base on the Sunday and he said, uh, man, that dude Hatfield's not he, he had that day yesterday. I think five for five, like you said, three bombs, nine RBIs, something crazy. He said he's not starting for y'all. He said, no, nah, we sent him home. He was acting up last night, put him on a plane. We didn't need him today. Finish you guys off. I mean, you had a lot of confidence on that team. I mean, even getting back to the pitchers, too. I mean, Buddy, Farquhar, um, Solich. I mean, you had some dudes on that staff and on that team. I mean, Bart, big leaguer, uh, Luke, big leaguer. You just had some guys that were that were just gritty, right, that, that, that wanted to be good, that worked their butts off, that expected to win, and were going to fight. They were going to grind through it and, and get the job done. Um. I remember, I think in, it was 07, the team went 28-2 and two at home, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was one of those seasons that, like, anytime you went to the Teague, you pretty much won. Um, I was, I'm very curious to know. So, like, the way the schedule came out, I remember we opened the first couple weeks on the road. We had to go to Southern Miss. They took two out of three, but it was a battle. And then later in the year, we go on the road to Arizona State. We get swept, but it was kind of like the Texas State series of this year where every single game we were in it. Even though we were good at home, playing those type of teams on the road, going to Arizona State, going to a place like Southern Miss, going play some, you know, I think there was a midweek game at Tulane that we lost by mm-hmm. like one run. And mm-hmm. back then that was when Tulane was really good. Mm-hmm. Would you say um, even though we weren't, our record wasn't as good as it was at home, that those type of games prepared you for that regional and college station to the way we got battle tested? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, don't want to say it's easy to win at home, but you guys know. I mean, you've grown up at that place. I mean, when you have it's a team hard. and you got some dudes, yeah. it's just not it's it's not hard to, to win. It's not when hard. you have a team yeah. that's producing and you get that thing rolling, uh, you get the crowd behind you. It's a uh, it's a hard place to play. It's a tough place to play. So it makes it a lot easier. It's more comfortable uh, to do it at home. But like you said, yeah, on on the road, I think that that weathers you. It exposes you to different environments. Um, Arizona State, that three-game series there, I mean, you talk about home cooking, uh, home cooking. I mean, I remember the strike zone. I mean, the strike zone was the size of the ball. I mean, if you didn't throw it the, the size of the baseball down the middle, it was not a strike. Was that the year that they were number one for a large part of the season? Is is that that year? If yeah. Not, if yeah, not they were the whole five. year. Pretty darn close. Yeah, I remember what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, we got hosed a couple of times. There was, there was. My dad was at at those games. He he flew out there to go for the series. And I don't know if you were pitching or somebody was pitching. And we all know Luke is the king of framing pitches for mm-hmm. us, right? I mean, he. I remember at yeah. the T. You, sometimes you'd be pitching and you would put it like right on that corner and Luke mm-hmm. would frame it and hold it for a good three or four seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he probably did that a few times against Arizona state, but my dad still talks about it. He brought it up about a month ago. For some reason, we were talking mm-hmm. about something and he brought up that trip to Arizona state. And again, I'm not sure if you were pitching or who was pitching, but I remember there was a pitch that, I mean, it couldn't have been any better than the way it was thrown. It was a strike umpire calls it a ball i think it was arizona state had their best hitter Mm -hmm. at the plate should have been a strike three count the very next pitch guy hits it to like right center in Mm -hmm. the gap Mm -hmm. got like a two rbi hit or something like that or two rbi double and that was the game i mean that was it that basically stole a game from us and I look back at that and you talk about how we might have gotten snubbed from that 07 regional but if you mm-hmm. win if you win that game maybe that sh- mm-hmm. that calls a strike he doesn't get the hit maybe that one win makes a difference and we're hosting that year instead of AM. 
Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I, I think if we'd have picked up one or two somewhere along the line there, one or two extra wins, it definitely puts us over the hump and, and we host there. Back to the Arizona State thing. That was quite honestly, it could have been me, could have been Fark, could have been anybody. I think every, <laughs> I think everybody got uh We're all got, throwing got strikes and it was yeah. balls. I mean, look, coach, I don't know. It's right down the middle. I, I don't know what you want me to do. I mean, we all we all got ran pretty good. And the the funniest part about that weekend, which I don't think he'll mind me uh sharing this story. Uh, if y'all remember Kyle Mickles, right? Grinder. Yeah. He was with us three, four years, came from Southern, uh, never got uh, much of a chance to play uh, on that. He got to travel. It may have been the first series he got to travel to, to Arizona State. Uh, soft, soft, tossing lefty, but he was going to attack you. He got in there to pitch. I want to say it was the last game of the series, and I forget his stat line, but everybody else got mowed through. We bring in old Mick, and I forget, he might have rattled off three, four innings, shut him down. He was punching him out left and right, left and right. And uh, I want to say when he finished up his outing, got back in the dugout, he said, I don't know what y'all are struggling so hard for. I mean, I just mowed through these dudes for That's four awesome. innings right here. <laughs> well, you said he was a slow-throwing lefty? Slower than me, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of like so a, little, it was a little Jackson, bit slower. It was, it was a 2014 Jackson State moment when you think about it. Yeah, probably Hey, All we got to do is get some slow yeah. going lefties. Let's not talk there. about the 2014 Jackson yeah. State. That's, I'm still hurt by that. I've yeah. cars. <laughs> I haven't was, gotten over it. It's true. That was a shock. Oh, man. Shit, I haven't gotten over 2007, to be honest with you. Yeah, me neither. That, that's the one that, that, that stings uh, me to this day. That was a that was a golden opportunity. But, I mean, clearly, give credit to A&M. You know, they, they fought back on us, too. But uh, that's one if we could take back, uh, and and probably most of the guys on that team would tell you the same thing. I mean, we were we were right there on the cusp. So I'm I'm sure that 2017 was probably a pretty close knit group. Mm-hmm. You guys still keep in touch? Do you you still kind of hang out with people? Do you exchange text messages, whatever? Oh yeah, man. Well, and and you guys know what what uh, what having kids and stuff. The 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 contact is probably not as as frequent as we would all like to have it still, but. Not just that team, but but most all the guys we played with. That's the, the the cool and unique thing about Cajun baseball, right? I mean, we can go months or even years with some of these guys without hanging out in person. We do, you know, call to check in every now and then, group text here and there. But uh, you know, you can get us all together four or five years removed, and it's like we never missed a day, right? So, uh, but I think that's probably part because of the time we spent together of, of battling out these, these games, like we're talking about here, but so still try to stay in touch with most guys. Um, uh, I was just talking with, with, uh, Nolan and, uh, Matt Gula. He came, he came along after 07, but, uh, was, uh, texting with those guys earlier. Uh, my best buds, TJ Grove, Blaine LaFleur, uh, John Smith, uh, some of the unsung heroes of those Cajun teams, uh yes his name's john smith we've we've given him crap about that forever standard caller id guy name um uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean we see i see tafford around town a lot uh you know luke when he's in town i mean anytime we, we cross paths we, we usually try to hook up i i gotta ask now if you if you were to give this team a pep talk the team going to college station this weekend yeah. and mm-hmm. we went two and oh the first two games let's mm-hmm. say for instance this team pulls it off against TCU Friday. Texas A&M beats Oral Roberts. We go in the same boat that you were in in 07. We went, we beat A&M on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. From your experience after going 2-0, and I, I don't want to 
open up any wounds, but you know, Texas A&M came back and went two for two against us in those following nights. What would you tell the team after this A&M game that maybe you guys shouldn't have, should have done, or maybe the approach was different. What was the approach after winning that A&M game? Was there a little bit of just uh, nervousness? Was there a little bit of, we got this a little too confident. What, what was the mindset? How would you tell this team moving forward? If that same, uh, same scenario were to happen? Yeah. Well, what I, what I would tell the guys this year, honestly, is full steam ahead. Don't, don't take off. Don't, don't back off the gas. If you start off two and oh, give it all you got on, on that third game, not to say that we did not, but to know, to, to have that opportunity in front of us, um, you know, looking back to those seven, the, I don't think the, 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 the first loss to A&M, I think that's the one that got away from us. The second loss to A&M, I really don't think that night with that dude on the mound, I really don't think there was anything uh, we could have done with Tebow that night. Nothing. I mean, I think uh, I, I think I, I talked with Luke Roy and Tad about that once before. I mean, there was nothing you could do. The dude was throwing 98. He was throwing like 95 mile an hour, 12 to six curveballs. It was like he was a uh, creative player on MLB The Show. Uh, you know, so that first loss to us, I think we lost uh, our first loss to AM. I want to say we lost five to two, maybe. They had a righty through against us. I think he went pretty deep, but he was a kind of a soft tossing righty. And that's the guy where I think we had a lot of opportunities. I don't remember specifically, but if we could go back, I think that's the one that, that everybody says got away from us, you know, which is that game three, right? So that's the one uh, to, to talk to the guys this year. Start off 2-0, and go get it, you know. Full steam ahead, go get it. Uh, you know, get some of that redemption back for these old guys that, uh, that couldn't get it done back in 07. One of the things we talked about earlier in the season, and I'm curious to get your input on it because, of course, you were a college and pro pitcher, was the fact that our starters were converted bullpen guys, right? And and we felt like maybe as the season wore on, that would be a disadvantage for us because maybe they get worn out you know, quicker than somebody who's been a starting pitcher their whole career. Does that really have any effect on – their effectiveness later in the season, or is that something that we're just coming up with off the top of our head, not knowing, you know, your guys' process as pitchers? Well, I, you know, it's nice if you can have set defined roles all throughout the year, you know, but let's be honest, I don't think there's a team that's ever played that has started opening weekend with the same three dudes or same three starters, same bullpen guys all through the year. So, um, I mean, it's nice to, to know you're going to start and, you know, Maybe you're not starting every Friday or every Saturday, but if you're a weekend guy, you know, you can you can manage your workload and your training to be able to peak in those moments. Um, you know, for those guys in years past and, and this year specifically, uh, maybe they haven't had a consistent, solid role all year. And, you know, I, th- I think the guys that have been able to be stretched out in the bullpen longer stints that get – get rolled over into starting roles later in the year. I think that's an advantage because once you get into a, let's say a loser's bracket situation here where you maybe have to pull a guy up that's been a a reliever or long reliever and has to start, right. He's got a little bit of the, uh, he's got some more legs under him, so to speak, because, because he's used to kind of working, you know, three, four inning stints here throughout the year. So, um, you know, you see it, you see it work both ways. I mean, there's, there's teams that have success and make runs in Omaha that, that, that kind of have, 
pitching situations kind of similar like to ours this year where you've had a lot of changeover in your weekend guys you've had guys plug and play here and there guys get hurt um and then you've seen teams that have pretty pretty consistent rotations all through the year on your weekend series and your set bullpen roles kind of like we had in 07 for the most part i mean we had pretty consistent uh weekend roles short relief long relief closers so uh i i think it could i think it could work both ways and you know the guys this year I think the the battles and the experiences they've gone through all year, I think that's only going to pay dividends for them uh, because they've had to claw, they've had to fight, they've had to struggle. Uh, like like we saw, you know, definitely the, the championship game on Sunday, you know. It can get frustrating at times, but, you know, uh, one of our robisms, uh, what do you say, the uh, – it's an invisible climb, right? You know, we may be frustrated throughout the year. We're not seeing much progress, but it shows up when it needs to. And, and those lessons will, will, uh, will make themselves known. I'm glad you said robism because I, I wanted to ask you this question. I was going to wait, but I'm going to ask you now. Uh-huh. I have a ton of robe stories. We were saying this before we started. What's, what's a memorable robe story? And it could be, you know, preferably a funny one because there are a ton. Um, but what's a good, I mean, whatever you have that really comes to mind that, that sticks out to you as a robe moment. Oh man. I mean, you, you can hit up all the, uh, you know, the robisms that, that everybody knows. And yeah, like you, I mean, I've, I've, I've got plenty of robe stories through, you know, spending four years with, with the man, you know, one that, uh, Jut and I usually laugh about, uh, this would have been in 2008, uh, Jut and I that year, we were roommates on the road. Right. So, um, we were what I would call Robe's IT guys a lot of times. You know, he was Robe was clearly a reader, right? Yeah, you know, I see you laughing, Nick. Uh he liked to watch uh motivational speakers, right? Uh I wanna call him Lex Luger. It's not. It's 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 another motivational guy, but we were constantly getting calls at one o'clock in the morning. Hey, come run down to my room. You know, we'd have to fix up his his DVD player. Um but the story uh I was getting into, I think it was oh eight, we were playing in middle Tennessee. And uh, we got rained out the Friday, so we had to play a doubleheader. And uh, I was kind of hyped up because I think that was the game I was going to break the the wins record. We were able to win. So I think the way we had it slotted was I think I was going to start game one. Farquhar was going to start game two. So we had an early uh, wake-up call for breakfast. forget what time it was. So Judd and I are sleeping, forget to set an alarm, and we both kind of wake up uh, – it's pitch black in a room wake up oh my goodness what time is it we look at the clock we're 10 minutes late to uh to breakfast right from our wake up time so we freak out throw on some clothes real quick hair's all crazy run down to uh the breakfast area at the hotel and uh big daddy robes waiting there for us and uh he just looked at us and said y'all are late he said yes sir sorry uh he was like when we get to the field y'all meet uh brian Brian, who's our trainer and still the trainer, uh, meet him down the left field line. Y'all go run, um, and you're not starting the first game. Well, I was I was upset, right? So I kind of pouted. So we get there for BP, and uh, I said, "Jet, he ain't really gonna run us, right?" I thought I was gonna get a little bit of a free pass because I was with I was with Jet, and uh, he ran us like dogs, man. I remember Brian had us running poles all during BP, and so here I am. I'm start. I, he bumped me to the second game, so. I'm like, man, I'm upset, you know, selfishly, my 21-year-old head, right? I'm like, man, I ain't going to have nothing going on here. I'm mad because I want to start game one. So we watched game one. Fark 
deals. He might have went seven, eight innings. Hell, he might have thrown a complete game, but we end up losing the first game two nut. So after that, I'm kind of upset we lost, but Judd kind of nudged me. He says, uh, uh, you know, so Maddie didn't go game one. We didn't score any runs, right? So I was like, well, we'll shake it off, see what happens. So I ended up pitching game two, and um, we end up winning. So after the game, I'm still I'm still upset at Coach Robe, right? I'm pouting like a kid does. So I'm changing my spikes after the game. Everybody's kind of cleared out of the dugout, and uh, I, f- I feel a shadow hovering over me. I'm bent over time, taking my cleats off, and uh, I can feel it's Robe, right? So – I said, I'm not looking at him. I'm not looking at him. So he stood there for a minute. The whole time he just waited. And he knew I was pouting, right? So I just look up at him. He said, you still mad? I said, no, sir. And he gave me, you know, congratulations. Hey, hey, proud of you. Broke the record, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it was not without a little bit of turmoil that day uh, prior to the start. That's awesome, man. Look, I, I, the reason I laughed so hard when you said he he couldn't work a computer was because I was hired, you know, my freshman year to be his like admin guy and like do all his computer work and all that stuff. And he called me at 1030 one night because he needed to print something out for the next day. I think it was itinerary or whatever for for a road road game. And so he's like, hey, man. I, I hate to make you do this, but you got to come out here. Like I, I, something's wrong with the computer. It's not turning on. So I drive all the way out there at that, like I said, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And he's, I'm like, so what's going on? He's like, man, I'm pushing this button. And he reaches over and he's pushing the floppy drive button to <laughs> like where you, we get the floppy disc out. <laughs> yeah. And he, man, yeah. he, he just, yeah. he was like, man, I just been pressing this on and nothing's coming on. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh yeah. That, yeah that immediately came to mind as soon as you said he didn't know how to work he literally did not know how to work a computer he did not nope yep that's 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 not a stretch nope there was there was many like i said one two a.m calls on the road hey come help me put this dvd in the computer so he was watching some kind of you know motivational speaker some kind of baseball something but uh uh looking back though those are are some of the times that you know I cherish more so than others because, you know, it's a little extra, you know, one-on-one time we got to spend with, uh, with the big guy there. So. All right. Before we got started, you promised me a just clear story. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, likewise, I, there's, there's, there's plenty Nolan stories. Uh, <laughs> probably some he wouldn't want me, uh, sharing just here, but, uh, give me an intermediate, not a too bad story, but not a boring one. Give me like something that's, borderline well i'll i'll say this i'll describe nolan as uh nolan was a nolan was a instagram influencer before there was instagram influencers nolan loving to death uh great baseball player better dude um but you know Nolan was a uh, if 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 we could have let Nolan rock those sleeveless license plate jerseys with no shirt underneath to show off the guns, he would have rocked them showing off the guns all day every day. Because uh, you know, if y'all remember, I mean, Nolan was a uh, uh, we can call him a pretty boy, but uh, you know, minute a pitch and change happened, he was on base, helmets off, he's showing the hair, he's showing the tan, he's showing the the good looks there. Um, no, Nolan, Nolan was one of those guys, uh, work hard, great teammate. Uh, he was one that could, could handle juggling off the field fun and on the field work, uh, pretty good. You know, he, he was, uh, he was a machine. So he liked to cut up. He liked to have a good time. 
interestingly enough, a lot of people looking at that, we call him Swollen Nolan. Uh, but looking at him, he looks like a really tough guy. But you, you peel some of the layers back, he's he's really – He's really a sweet guy. He's he's not as he's not as tough as he looks on on the outside. Uh, not not the Instagram persona that that he usually carries. So uh, still single, listeners- still single too. So if, if there's any uh, single ladies out there, I'm, uh, we need to find Swole and Nolan a a wife. All right, now that's the title of the episode right there. But no, I wanted to give some context because before we got started, I said you know Nolan was my guy for 2007. He doesn't get talked about enough, but he was. I just loved him. I loved him as a player. Nobody mm-hmm. talks about him, so I had to get. But, but when he would come up to the plate, when he'd stand in the box, uh, he just looked like a crazy person. And I was like, "That's my guy. That's I love this guy. This is my kind of guy." Oh yeah, yeah. And and to your point there, I mean, I, I think uh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, opposing pitchers, guys on another team, seeing him walk up to the plate, yeah, he looks like a psycho, right? He looks crazy. Old little league batting stance, just flexed up. He's ready to <laughs> mash a. He's ready to mash a fastball. In fact, I want to say we used to call him Yeah Yeah, because uh, I forget if it was Hatfield, some of the other guys in the dugout. You know, Nolan was always looking for heater down the middle or inside. So uh, we would have somebody would yell out Yeah Yeah if the catcher was setting up inside or if a new heater was coming. And a lot of times, I think he'd end up uh, hitting a tank on on those Yeah Yeah calls. But uh, yeah, fastball hunter. Um, but most definitely uh, an intimidating visual at the plate. If y'all remember the movie Major League, he would would have been a perfect for uh, Jack Parkman. Nolan is a Oakley's batting in the batter's box guy. That's that's Nolan, Jack Parkman. One interesting guy that uh, that 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 was a huge that played a huge role on this team was was Danny Farquhar. Um, True freshman came in in 2006. Basically, uh, I think he pitched on Friday nights um, as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And 07 was a stud. 08, same old, same old. Got drafted after his junior season. But the thing about Danny was, uh, from my understanding, because my cousin, as you know, my cousin Josh played on the te- on some of the teams with you. But he would tell me that Danny was a, a very laid-back kind of guy. Like, never really wasn't. He didn't seem like that tough, gritty competitor on the mound as much off the field. He was more of kind of had a little bit of innocence in him. Uh, talk a little bit about Danny as a person. And I know he's he's made a huge career for himself and rightfully uh-huh. so in the majors. But uh, I guess I guess the best way to describe Danny was when you met him outside of the diamond, you really didn't. He wasn't the type of guy you would say, oh, yeah, he's going to be this this masterful pitcher on the mound because his personality was the complete opposite. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, in fact, I want to say before Danny even got to UL, uh, he was in on his recruiting trip, and it was him. Um, we had a, some big recruit from Miami, Coach Chef had had in, and, and another guy, two big hitters, and then Farquhar and myself and somebody else. We we had to host them for a little bit, and I remember walking, seeing them. They were we we had a practice or something in the fall, and they were standing down the line. Chef's like, "Hey, that's the recruits. Y'all go over there and talk to them." And I saw Fark. I said. All of them is that I thought he was somebody's little brother. Like I didn't know it was a uh, Fark. He was like, no, no, that's one of them. All right. Uh, but you're right. Looking at looking at Danny, I mean, you you would not expect him to be a uh, uh, as great a pitcher as he was. Uh, totally different on the field versus off the field. Like you said, there a little bit of innocence. Uh, um, 
I mean, you would not guess he was a athlete of any kind. Uh, but uh, in addition to his pitching, as good as he was there, he was a maybe even a better just – he probably could have played a position for us. I mean, BP, we take pitchers BP. He was always riding the coaches, hey, let me swing, let me swing, let me swing. Um, I mean, I, the first time they ever let him swing, I remember one day Chef got fed up with him and he said, look, you want to swing? Get in there. He threw one pitch to Danny. This is two years of him yonking on him. Let me hit, let me hit. First pitch in BP, Fark hit it over over the uh, pine trees in left field and flipped the bat, and he said, that's it. I told y'all, y'all should be letting me hit. Um, but, no, off the field, yeah, I, I would say maybe a little bit goofy, innocent. Uh, you would think he'd be reading books uh, instead of uh, being a major league pitcher. Uh, but give him credit, man. I mean, Danny was always a hard worker, uh, not just the physical work for pitching, but studying, uh, you know, with his game plan, all the classroom work we, we would, uh, put in with Robe on the pitching side of it. Um, in fact, he and I were drafted the same year, his junior year, my senior year in 08, both by the Blue Jays. So, uh, we never really played a whole lot on the same level. He was clearly a level or so ahead of me. Once he got into pro ball, he just he just took off. But uh, no, Dan, Danny was a good dude, hell of a pitcher, and uh, you know he's he's had a heck of a run. Well, Hunter, I just got to say this has been awesome talking with you. I hope we can do it again. Uh, maybe next year we'll have you on a few times and um, talk a little bit of baseball again because it's it's always fun to hear it from a player's perspective especially players that were on on robes teams and hearing uh-huh. you know those kinds of stories and 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 you know regional stories and things that we don't as fans typically get to hear that kind of behind the scenes stuff so we appreciate it keep on keeping on we'll see you. we've seen you at the ballpark a few times i've seen you when i've gone there we hope to keep seeing you around yep same here guys i uh, i make it out there when i can uh i enjoyed it today i appreciate y'all having me on y'all uh y'all have a good thing going here i enjoy listening to the show so anytime y'all want uh want a few stories give me a call Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of Every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! One, two, get down! Paid the cost to be the boss. Paid the cost to be the boss. I paid the cost to be the boss. Look at me. Brennan, thanks for hanging out with us tonight.
uh, you just finished your playing career just last season for the Cajuns, uh, and you've had you've had a really good college career. Started out at LSU, came back to the good side to Lafayette to play for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Uh, what are you up to now? Um, I know I know that uh, you've had the chance to go into your inner broadcast and uh, be a color guy in the booth, but um, outside of that, what what else are you doing? Are you are you sticking just to that, or do you have another another job, or still in baseball? What's what's going on in, in Brennan Bros uh, in Brennan Bros world today? Uh, a little half and half. Uh, so I have a day job. Um, I work at Slimco, so it's the utility provider here in Lafayette. That's from that's my eight to four thirty job, and then after that, it's uh, it's all baseball. So I'm I'm uh, I'm coaching a little thirteen u thirteen uh, year old travel team. Uh, that's every Tuesday and Thursday we practice and then we on the weekends we play and then uh, Monday Wednesday Friday I give lessons like batting lessons and stuff so I uh, my, my free time is uh, is sparing so I, I, I'm, I'm really really busy but I wouldn't have it any other way it's the schedule I've been used to for forever you know you practice all day pretty much or you go to school then to practice and then go home and do homework get up for 6 a.m. weights you know three or four days a week so let's dive into uh, your experience uh, as a baseball player, you had a very unique situation, especially from a local, a local flavor. You played at STM. Uh, you, you signed on with LSU. You got to play for Coach Palmineri, but you also got to play for Coach Tony Robichaux and as well as Coach Matt Deggs. So you got to play for some, three pretty good college coaches uh, and, and, and two good college programs. But what are some major differences and similarities between those coaches that you got to play for? You're right. And three really, really really good coaches all in their own right. Two of them, you know, for sure, almost legends in the game, you know, and one's still writing his script and, and, uh, and he's well on his way, you know, especially if he keeps on the trend that he's trending here. But coach Maneri was uh, coach Maneri was very good, like with the X's and O's. So the X's and O's of the game, he knew it inside and out. And he almost had like a sixth sense for like knowing when to call certain things, knowing when to call a hit and run, knowing when to call a pitch out, knowing when to steal, et cetera, et cetera. He had a, he had a, um, he had a sixth sense for that. So he taught me the game a lot quicker than, than what I expected it to be because the high school and college, believe it or not, it's, it's two totally different ball games. The speed's different. The strategy's different. Um, you know, it's, it's totally different all the way around. And there was a big learning curve for me and, and, and having a guy coming out of high school that knew the game as well inside and out as coach Maneri did and, and knowing when and when not to do and how to do all the different things that, 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 that you're expected to do as a baseball player was so big for me in, in, in just learning the game. And then I transfer over here and you have Coach Robichaux and, and you know, that, that kind of – I don't really feel like I need to say anything else. But, uh, you know, he was really, really big on the spiritual side and the, and the growing of, of, of boys to men, uh, you know, the, all the stuff that we've heard a, a hundred times and, um, you know, every now and then I still go back and I, I still see, um, I still watch videos and I still listen to some of his talks and his speeches that, that are out there. Cause it's just a good reminder. It's, it's lessons that, you know, that, that are going to transcend for way further than baseball. And so, um, he was a very, very good, you know, spiritual and, um, and, and like emotional coach, I guess you'd be able to, you'd say, uh, and then you have coach Matt Daggs, who's, um, a little bit of both. He's a very, very smart baseball mind also. Um, very, very aggressive. And, and he's, he's got a great story too. And so he's got a lot of stuff to offer, you know, outside of the lines as well that, that you can learn and, and take and, and use in your own life. And so 
all three totally different styles of coaching, but all three, I mean, legends in their own right, obviously. So it's uh, it, it was it was a really, really cool ride. It's a lot different than than a lot of people. For me, it's just the road that I went down. But, you know, obviously, the more that you talk to, to people and to players that they don't they don't get a chance to see a bunch of different perspectives. And so it's it's it was really, really cool. As someone who played under Coach Deggs, I always kind of wondered because like you mentioned Caleb Adams and I know talking to Caleb, he thinks highly of coach Deggs after the, you know, the 13 and 14 run when he was here, what is the approach? Um, I'm not really, um, you know, not to get too technical, but I'm just kind of wondering like with, when you, when you go up to the plate and coach Deggs would make a signal to you or, or, or you guys would practice, what exactly is his approach? Because like I said, as a fan, we know it's more on the aggressive side, but like, is it more of a mental thing? Is it more of a technical technicalities with the way you swing the bat or run a base? What, what is his approach overall on, uh, on, on hitting? Because obviously it works. Yeah. Well, that's, that answer has kind of got some layers to it. Uh, but in the, in the very basic way that I can say that is like, you practice your approach basically every day at practice. So, you know, with anything you do, you want to like you work and work and work and work day in and day out to perfect your craft. Right. And hitting is hitting is the same. So there is a technical side of it and there is a certain way to swing a bat uh, per se, but, uh, and that's what you work on technically um, mechanically at practice every day, you work on uh, like your swing mechanics and your hitting mechanics. And, and, but paired with that is uh, like a mental approach also. And so, Basically, your mental approach is going to is going to uh, the situation that you're put in and the sign that is given is going to dictate your mental approach. So it can change from swing to swing, from pitch to pitch, from sign to sign, you know, depending on, you know, what the situation and sign that he gives tells you to do. At the very basics, you're trying to hit the ball basically up the middle, right? It's like you've been talked uh, talked about and talked to and taught since you were five years old. Hit the ball right back up the middle, hit, hit the ball right back up the middle. That doesn't change. So at the very basis of it, you're trying to hit a ball as hard as you can right back up the middle from one gap to the other. And that basically gives you the most room for error if you're a little bit early or a little bit late. And it's also it kind of gives you the most power because all of your momentum is going right back up towards the middle of the field where the ball's coming from. So it's basically balls coming this way. Your energy and momentum's going this way creates like a, a linear collision and, and, and that's how you get most of your power and, and it also for timing gives you the most room for error if you're early or late. But mentally, when you get in the box, again, um, you know, there's some sometimes, you know, like, for example, like a runner's on second base and no, there's nobody out. As a hitter, I know that I'm getting in there. He's either going to bunt me and I have to get a bunt down and I like have to get it in my mind that I'm going to get the bunt down. And it's like mindset saying like this dude's not going to beat me. I'm going to get the bunt down no matter what. There's also like that with that same situation, runner at second, nobody out. If he doesn't give you the bunt sign as a hitter, I know that, you know, I have to hit a ball, you know, to his, to the base runner's right side. So from, you know, the, if you split the runner in half, you know, to the second base side or the second baseman side, the right side of the infield, any ball to the right side of the infield, he's going to, the, the base runner is going to have a chance to advance any ball to the left side the base runner is not going to have a chance to advance because the play is going to be in front of him and he's going to be thrown out at third base. So um, just depending on the situation and the sign given, you've done it so many times that you just know, you know, what's expected of you. And then 
it, 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 you just trust your mechanics and you trust your preparation and practice that you've done it so many times that you know that you can, or you should go in there and just not think and just do, you know, it's almost like muscle memory a little bit. It it, it essentially is. It's muscle memory. Yeah. Mechanically. Right. But you're just, but it's, but you're picturing like you're almost willing it to happen. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So, so you, you, you have the mechanical stuff that you practice day in and day out in batting practice and the different drills that you do and, and what have you. And then you pair that with the mental side of it and the mind frame and the mindset and like the will to do whatever that situation is. And so you kind of have to manipulate your swing to do those things. And so it's, like I said, it's, it's a layered answer. Uh, but that's the, that's the best and most basic way I can no, give look, it to you without kind of getting too far into the weeds, you know? No, I was saying you're scratching the surface, but being detailed at the same time. But it makes me curious because I know Coach Deggs and JT created that same philosophy at Texas A&M. But yet I know that both of them, even though they created that, sort, that similar philosophy together, coach differently, different styles of coaching, I guess, if that makes sense. What – what was the difference between Coach Deggs and JT? Because I know, look, I'm just going to admit it, as fans, one approach worked better than the other from what we saw. Uh, and and I think from our perspective as fans, we knew that JT was a lot more technical, how you swung the bat, the very very attentive to detail on your, your mechanics, whereas Coach Deggs, it was more of a mentality. Uh, are we off there? What, what was that difference between the two as far as their approach, even though they were similar approaches? No, it, it, it's the same approach. It's the same system. You know, for, for whatever reason, apparently there was just a disconnect. Coaching is basically, you know, saying the same thing 10, 15 different ways. <laughs> yeah, right. So right. The, the best coaches are able to say, and JT, don't take this the wrong way, JT is a phenomenal coach. And when I transferred over back, and I credit I credit him to this, you know, 100%. Me and him grinded out days as well as Caleb, grinded out days, and and we had to rebuild my swing from from the ground up. And so by no means was was you know Coach Talbot's you know approach or coaching style any worse than than Coach Deggs's. I don't know, you know, I, I put a lot of the blame, and I've told this to JT. I put a lot of the blame on us as players too. You know, maybe we weren't mature enough as players to, you know, understand where he was coming from and what he was trying to to say. You know, maybe we weren't we weren't mature enough to meet in the middle as much because they they are both very old school. You know, they're not going to tata you along and they're not going to hold your hand while you do it. They're going to throw you in the fire and they're going to put pressure on you. But you got to know that it's coming from a good place and you got to know like the expectation, because at the end of the day, like that's their job and this is how they feed their families. So it's a lot different scenario for a coach to to have some pressure on him than it is for a player. Now, obviously, as a player, it sucks because you want to play and you're like your playing times on the line and your legacy as a player and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you're not having like you're not going to go home and not eat or you're not going to go home and not have the lights on and the water running like this. As a coach, you're putting your whole lifestyle and and career into the hands of 20, 25 18 to 22 year olds. And so when you put it in that light, it's not easy. And, and I don't think there's any difference. I, I just think that I think that there was just a disconnect somewhere for the certain years that, that there were, you know, a little bit of a lull, you know, hitting wise. And so he JT's had really good years too, you know, where he's had years, you know, that, that they've hit 
you know, upper upper half, upper third, you know, top two, three, first in the in the conference, and up there in the in the country. And so, um, I think I think he gets a bad rap, you know, from a fan perspective because as a whole, you see his tenure, and it wasn't, especially coming off of a 2013, 2014, 2015 super regional, you don't see his whole body of work and say like. Oh, like it was as good as so and so, or it was as good as so and so. It's the the dude's a hell of a coach, and and I still talk to him today. We play golf all the time. He coaches me in golf, and he's a phenomenal golfer, and he's a coach at heart, and and he's always gonna be, and he's a damn good one. And um, you know, I, I Brendan, what's I, he shooting? What's he shooting? I think it, any given day he shoots under par, and then I've seen him. I've no seen him way. Do it. So that's 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 no. Uh, oh, yeah, he kicks no my brother in that. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to get on dough for that. I'm gonna have to get but, on dough but for that. But just to finish the thought, man. I mean, he's. He's a phenomenal coach, and it takes a different kind of dude to to go out and, and and put his uh to put his neck on the line, you know, each and every day, and 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 he did that for us, and and so I, I got uh, I got nothing for respect for JT, and and uh you know it just it just didn't work out probably like he thought it was gonna, and no harm in that, you know he uh he's a he's a great coach, and and he did a lot of good things for for the program. So I got to ask, and your dad has been knowing me since I was born, so I've known him my whole life, and I know that. Before you went to LSU, he was a UL fan. I mean, heck, he'd bring you – I think he brought you up to the press box a couple times when I was in there. And and then, you know, you go, you play at LSU, you come back. Did he have to bathe in holy water to put that purple and gold stuff on? Or did he accept it, you know? you go it, was, it was it was tough at first. It was really, really <laughs> tough at first. And it was – it was you know, it's uh, it was weird for all of us, I guess, a little bit because we have been Cajuns fans for as long as I can remember. Um and then when you go through the recruiting process, it's just kind of like, you know, the situation that you're in now and the cards, you play the cards that you're dealt. And so at that time, I felt like that was the best decision for me. And then, you know, I was talking about pretty much the same, the same things with, uh, with one of the, the kids I give lessons to. His dad went to a totally different high school that he's going to be sending his son to in the next year or two. And, and he's like, the, the, the schools are rivals. And so he's like, man, I hate to see him wear those colors. You know, he said, but once I see him, you know, run out on the field in, in whatever those colors are, he said, I'm going to be a fan, you know, instantly. And so that was kind of the same approach. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily that we have a hatred for, for LSU. It's just, uh, you know, you're, you're UL fans your whole life and, and that's all you grew up going to. And that's where you're used to. And it's a culture shock, you know, putting on the, putting on the purple and gold, especially here in Lafayette, you know, depending on who you talk to it, uh, it can be taboo, um, but You're you know it's, uh, it's, right it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the cards that I was dealt, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the decision that I thought was best at the time and, you know, went with it. can't say that I regret anything. Uh, Cause I don't, I got to play for a national championship. I almost won a national championship. I was two games away. Um, and so I, I learned a whole bunch. I made friends. One of my, one of my friends just made it up to the big leagues last night. So uh, you know, the, the relationships that you make and the, the experiences that you have, it's, it's, it's invaluable, you know, so it was cool. Before you go, Jerry, I just want to say, I think your mom made a pretty good catch on a foul ball the other night. She was sitting down in the, and I don't know that she grabbed it in there or whatever, but I saw her come up with the ball in the, in the, near the cooking club. So that was impressive. Well, I was about to say, it definitely wasn't when I was playing because when I was playing, she was, she was, she wasn't staying still. She was pacing back and forth, looking through the cracks and the bleachers and everything. So. She uh, she's that. able to watch the game now, a little bit more relaxed. I get that. So, so you mentioned how you 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 played at LSU and being a Cajun fan all your life. I know you said it's taboo, but as a as a player, 
obviously you pretty much know how the fans go back and forth, especially locally, right? When it comes to baseball, I mean, UL and LSU, sometimes they'll face each other in a regional. You've pretty much been in the middle of it. Did you ever feel like you were in the middle of sort of the fanfare as a player? Like, were you able to kind of, did you ever get pulled into that sort of, I guess, fan rivalry? Uh, No, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, You know, you have a couple people like your close family friends here that'll kind of pick at you and, and say, oh, you know, you had to go back over there. And, you know, it's like I said, it's just the uh, it's the decision that that, you know, you uh, you go with at the time that you think's best for you. And then you 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 give it your best. And then if you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And you and you, you know, you hit the drawing board again. And and uh, and I was lucky enough to, to fall back on a place, you know, as good as as good as this. And not many people have a place like that, you know, especially in their hometown to a program that's just as good you know, in some years, if not better than, than, you know, one of the best teams in the country almost year in and year out, you know, 60 miles down the road, because it's, it's hard to, it's hard to compete with, with, you know, a team like that, with the budget, with the, the size of the school, with, you know, the, the lore that it is over there and, and the mystique that and the history and all that stuff that, that they built. And, but, but having this program here, man, it's, it was so cool. And it was such an easy decision for me you know, when I decided to do something different, I, I didn't even open like back then it wasn't, they didn't have a transfer portal. So, you know, back then I, when I had made the decision that I was going to leave, you know, I'd done all my stuff there. And it was the first phone call I made was to coach Robe and say, Hey coach, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I want to come talk to you, you know, and luckily enough, he was more than willing to, to take me on. And, and, you know, my transition here was, was awesome. Um, everybody else here, you know, all the fans here welcomed me with open arms and, and I'm forever grateful, you know, for everybody. I, I got a question for you, Brendan. I remember one time I was I was walking 18 at uh, at Muni. I'm sorry, it was at Vaux, actually. And I want to say this guy was your uncle, and he he had some dealings with 008 Magazine, maybe. Am I okay, remembering yeah. that properly? Okay. Uh, yep, yep. So I'm golfing with him, and I you know he we we met up and we played or whatever, and uh, he made a comment about his nephew going to play for Coach Robe. He was leaving LSU to go to play for Coach Robe. At the time, Southeastern also had a player named Brennan Bro on their team. Do you remember that? I think he was a shortstop or maybe a third baseman. And I, for, for whatever reason, I, I walk away from the conversation and I'm thinking, I don't think that guy knew what the hell he was talking about. Maybe he's talking about the Southeastern kid. <laughs> but anyway, you go ahead and you make the decision to transfer, right? What, what went into that? Take, take us through like the year, what was it? I guess that was 2017. 27 so 2018 would have been your redshirt year right I would love to know the process between I got recruited out of high school to go to LSU I go to LSU here you are a year and a half into your career and you're making the decision to to come back to Lafayette what, what was going on in Brennan Bro's life at that time where you know you obviously made the best decision or the decision that was best for you at that time what, what was the process what was going on what, what was happening a, a, a big part of it was um you know, and Nick knows my family a little bit more in detail, but, um, you know, my, my grandparents and my family are very, very important to me. And, and so, you know, at that time it was kind of, I was kind of struggling. Um, I, I couldn't really get like a, a firm foothold in, 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 uh, in the lineup over there and, and it all, you know, a bunch of different factors kind of compounded, but the big, the biggest reason was really just my family. Like my grandparents were getting a little bit older at the time. And, uh, and one of them was his health was declining and he, he only came to one game and, and, you know, he stuck it through the whole game and, and, you know, was, that was like, 
his big thing that that he loved to come see us play and and the the drive to Baton Rouge was just too too much for him and so you know at the end of that season I just kind of had felt that it was for more reasons than one just just it was that at that time was the best decision for me to come back and you know for the last two years or, or the last year and a half that I was at UL uh, he was able to come just about to every home game and and uh, and that made it all worth it for me. So that was that was really the biggest factor for me is is on coming back is, you know, I knew I, I was at I was going to be at home here. And then I knew on top of that, I knew that it was going to benefit a lot of other people, uh, you know, in my family more than it probably did me. So that was uh, that was the big reason for me. And then you come to UL, right? You take the red shirt and then obviously the unfortunate passing of Rove a year later and then Matt takes over and then COVID happens. If you could maybe just talk to us about that stretch, um, not only just for you, but the guys in the locker room. I mean, that was a tough year and a half, you know, 20 month stretch for everybody involved with Cajun baseball. If, if you don't mind, you know, I know it's a little bit of a heavy topic, but if you don't mind, maybe just talk about your transition back to Lafayette, the robe situation and then COVID. And then, you know, obviously Matt taking over and, you, and you're Matt Dex taking over and you're, you're in a totally different culture. Uh, than what you signed up for. What was that like? Yeah, it was tough, man. Um, you know, I, I, I transferred here in, in 2018. That was my first year, 2018. I had to sit out that year. And that was Coach Robe's second to last year. So 2019, I actually played a full season with Robe also. So it was it was cool that I got to see. And I think we talked about this a little bit before off air, but I was a bat boy for three or four years, you know, when I was 10 to 12 or whatever. And we've been knowing that family. I've been knowing like Austin and Justin and all of them for forever. And so um, those have always been just really good friends of mine. Um, so it was really cool to, for that to come full circle for me and and play for Robe, play a season under Robe, um, under the guy that I had been, you know, basically looking up to this whole time. And then 2019 was his last season. That's the first season, again, that I played for him. And then that summer, you know, went in from my exit meeting. We had our exit meeting. And then he's like, look, you know, I'm expecting you to, do this, that, and the other. When you come back, you've already got that first season under your belt. Looking forward to you having a good year. Two months later and, and change or whatever it is, and you get the phone call and the text messages, and I was still on the team at the time, so you had the group messages coming through from the coaches kind of giving us the updates, and and then you get the phone call, you know, and, and it was actually it was Nick's brother uh, gave me the call. So I, that's a day and a time, and I'm, it's kind of one of those places that, you know, you knew exactly where you were when you got the phone call, and you're never going to forget it. And, and I'm sure that was a lot of people in, you know, uh, in, in Cajun Nation. So that next uh, that next summer, you know, you're you're really a month and a half away from you know starting up fall ball again. So as much as you wanna, as much as you wanna like try to mourn the loss of of coach, you know, you kind of still have to get another coach in there because you're about to start up again in in you know the next month and a half, two months. And so that's when the whole um, the coaching search started and, and Dr. Maggard got with a, a handful of uh, players from the team last year it was three or four of us and had kind of gotten us to, to, to get with all the team and, and see the qualities and the characteristics that um, that we had liked in a, in a coach or we, that we had would want in a coach. And, and so we got that feedback back to him and within the next two weeks, I think it was that uh, that he hired coach Deggs and everybody had kind of known, or had kind of had a feeling that he was the the guy for the job and that he was going to be probably, it was going to be his job to turn down. But at the same time, you never knew because Coach Deggs had kind of 
established a firm foothold at Sam Houston and he had rattled off a couple of really good years. And, and uh, you know, everybody was thinking, you know, this is kind of the guy that we're leaning to, or this is kind of the guy that's probably the front runner, but, you know, is he going to leave this program that he's essentially built, you know, and, and, uh, and in the process of really doing a good job of, and um, he's from Texas. So it's, he would be leaving his family. Um, and so there was a bunch of question marks, but, some of the some of the the statements that you've heard him say in the past, and it's like once once he knew once he offered was offered the job, he knew exactly, you know what he had to do. He felt like it was his his you know gift back to this program, and it was it was his way of honoring coach. Um, and he's doing a really really good job with it. And then you know his first year goes twenty twenty, and you know we're we're off to a little bit of a scuffle. Everybody's trying to get you know used to each other and and used to a whole new system and then COVID hits and, you know, you, you sit out that year, they get you the year back. And then 2021, this past year, it's, it's, they have like the little residuals of COVID. It's kind of starting to slack off and then it comes back again and it slacks off and it goes back again. And, and, um, you know, it was tough. A bunch of restrictions. You had to play some games, you know, with some masks on or, you know, whatever, whatever that's worth. And how drained was the team at the beginning of 2020? I mean, you, you literally went through a, a year and a half worth of just absolute – I don't even know the word to use. It was just constant heartbreak almost. How drained yeah. were you guys? How, how, how emotion, what was the emotional toll on the players at that point when the season got canceled? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tough, man, because, you know, I think it was about a month and a half before, you know, we open up on the, it was uh, alumni weekend and that was the unveiling of the statue. And, you know, obviously it hits hard for a lot of people just because of who he was, but, you know, it hit harder for a lot of the people or probably half the team really that, that actually played for him as well. Uh, because we had a handful of guys, it was, it was almost 50, 50 uh, that, that played for him the year before. And then the new guys that came in that year. And so, some people didn't know what to expect and some people kind of didn't really fully understand the culture here uh, and what he built over the last 25 plus years. But those that did and those that got to experience it firsthand, I mean, it, it made it just that much harder um, just because you understand like Hunter Moody, like getting on before that's a fraternity. Like once you step in and, and you put the Jersey on and you strap it up and in in, with the cleats and, and you go out there and play, you don't have to play with these guys. You're in a fraternity forever. And so that fraternity, especially here, and I think that statue, you know, says it all that that fraternity here with it, it, it's 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 so tight and it's it's such a cool place. And uh, it just makes it, it it's so tough because of how good coach was and how how much he meant to everybody. But having the fraternity and all the brothers that played for him, you know, in the past 25 years makes it a lot easier, too, because his legacy is going to live on. Um, but at the time, it was just tough, man. It's uh, it's a lot to throw at you at one time trying to kick off a season with a new coach. And it was just, it was, it was really, really tough. It puts a lot of pressure on you, um, especially being alumni weekend, all the alumni is coming in and it's just, it was, it was tough. It was tough. It, uh, it's, it's, uh, it was necessary, but it's not something that I'm, that I really, I can say like enjoyed having for an opening day, you know. It kind of poured out into the field. I know you guys, your, your minds were in a different place. Obviously and you wanted with, to do so well, you know, because yeah. of the situation and because of, you know, the circumstance. But, you know, it, it was kind of one of those situations where you tried too hard, you know, it's kind of, yeah. that's kind of, even as went, a, you know? I mean, even as a fan, like going to that game against Southeastern on opening night, 
unveiling the number 36 in the outfield. Of course, the statue ceremony that Saturday morning and just it, it was I, I told my wife, I said the first time I, I think it was Coach Deggs that walked out onto the mound to talk to I forgot who pitched that night, but it was a very eerie experience seeing that for the first time as a fan. I can only imagine what it was like as a player, you know. Um, because you, you, it's kind of that, that it's, it's the hard reality that coach Rope really isn't there anymore, you know, but I know coach Deggs to be able to come in and fill in that type of role and for him. And just by this past Sunday, seeing the emotions that kind of, you know, it kind of came out, you know, three years of just rebuilding this entire program and doing the best he could to, to, to continue the legacy that coach Rope started, um, I have to ask for you as a player that that played for both coaches. Obviously, you knew who Coach Deggs was before because you, I mean, thirteen and fourteen teams, and of course, you played. Well, he against actually him recruited he at, me in high school. Oh, okay. So, and then so he, yeah. he he recruited me in high school the, before I even uh, before I even got on campus. So yeah, I, I knew him. I knew him well before I, I played for him. And and you got to play against him too, and when he was at Sam Houston. But um, when he came here and took the job. Um, Talk a little bit about the transition of the culture uh, from Coach Robe to Coach Deggs. I know they're very similar, but very different at the same time. Uh, his style is, is 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 very different than the way Coach Robe's style was. But how was the adjustment as far as on the field? How was the adjustment for you as a player to get used to his style of coaching and his style of play? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big difference. Um, like you said, to- two totally different styles. Obviously, Coach Robe was really like pitching and defense heavy. And so that played more into my skill set. So I-, I was more – the reason I got into college is I was a lot better defender than I was a hitter when I was in high school. And, and so they-, they had recruited me basically with, um, with that in mind. And so I was going to be more of a defensive outfielder, you know, with a chance to develop a bat as you go on. And and that played really, really into my skill set, especially when I came back for Robe. And so uh, having switched to Coach Deggs, who was a very offensive-minded coach, uh, it, was, it was a little bit of a tough transition for me, you know, because you had to learn like a – it was like a whole new offensive system and a much more in-depth in and detailed offensive system. And so we played a lot faster and a lot more intense and a lot more aggressive under Coach Deggs. And so it's just a whole different style of baseball that – that I wasn't used to, that I had to make adjustments in my game as well. So both obviously are very successful, just to- two totally different, um, you know, ways of, of trying to attack the game. Yeah. So looking at, at speaking of, of looking at it in a different way or, or kind of having different, I guess, philosophies, talk a little bit about what you saw this season earlier in the season versus kind of how things turned around in the second half. I, I think we were, doing pretty much the same thing, but getting different results. So what did you see that, that I guess made us a little more successful in the second half of the season versus how we started the season, I guess is my question. I think the big thing is, is uh, at least that I saw was like the stability, especially on the mound, um, you know, early in the season, you know, your Friday night starter, your opening night starter really didn't see a whole lot of them as the season went on. And, and that's a tough blow. You know, it's a guy that you're expecting to throw a lot of innings and to get you off to a good start on every weekend. And uh, you didn't see a whole lot of him, um, you know, after opening night. Uh, you know, you saw him sparingly. But having that stability on the mound, especially on the weekends, it's a big, that's a big deal because you know 
you know, you may not get like a, a, a certain like lights out performance every weekend, but you at least know that Brandon Talley is going to go on a Friday night. You at least know that Jacob Schultz is going to go on a Saturday. And you at least know that Jeff Wilson is going to go on a Sunday. All of those guys have thrown a bunch of innings and you know what kind of stuff that they have. You just know that if they pitch to their capabilities and pitch to pitch to the way that they can, then they're going to give you solid outings. They may not go complete games like they like Jacob Schultz did this Saturday. You may not throw 140 pitches and go a CG, but you know, you're going to get five quality innings and you're going to have a chance to win on the back end of the game. And so with a team that really could swing it, very athletic in the field and position player wise, I think that the all they needed was just more at bats and more experience playing with each other. And as you saw that as that as the as the season went on, they got more comfortable swinging and playing with each other and learn learning how to play with, you know, and for each other. And that's what you've seen the past month has just been unconscious with the bats, right? They swung their way through the the conference tournament. And then you have a guy like Jacob Schultz who throws a gym Saturday night. But that's again, that's that's the missing piece and that's the stability that they really needed going forward. And and if they could get, I said that the whole time. If they could get some st- stability on the mound, then it was going to be really, really dangerous. Because if you look at the staff, they really only have maybe two or three guys that have like actual like starting capabilities. For the most part, the whole staff is a, is a group of relievers that you know you're, that they're trying to lengthen out four, five, six innings, and so that can be tough too with the with the stamina and you know they're 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 not as effective the longer that they go, but. I mean, hats off to, again, guys like Brandon Talley, Jacob Schultz, Wilson, who've come in and, and, you know, assumed those starting roles and have really just given their team a chance to win and, and have really pushed them through to get to a regional at this point. So that was the big thing for me is just being, being consistent on the mound and getting off to a good start. Because once you get off to a good start, those, those, that bullpen full of relievers is going to take you the rest of the way. It's just how you're going to. Like, are we going to have to burn bull bonds for six innings every Saturday or every Friday night? You know, are we going to have to come in with Austin Perrin and, and have him throw five innings? You know, it, it just takes a lot of pressure off the rest of the team, and it plays to their to their strengths if, if one guy can get off to a good start. So that was the big thing for me. Is there a chemistry difference between 2021 and 2022? Do, do you see a, a marked difference in the way that the guys interact with each other this year as opposed to last uh, that's hard for me to say because I'm not I'm not really a part of the uh, sure, sure. of the team this year. Um, but I mean, I can tell you that you know all the guys that I played with, you know, just all they wanted to do was strap it up every day and go out and and play. And so I I, I can only speak for my guys. I can't speak for any of the guys that are there now. But you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a game, and and you know we're playing for money. So there's a lot on the line, whether it be just playing time and 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 your you know reputation and your bragging rights, whether you go back home. Uh, to your family, you're going to want to tell them that, you know, you played 45, 50, 55 games out of the year. And and that's how we all approached it. And we just wanted to go out there and win and we wanted to go out there and compete. And and it looks like, you know, these guys are well on their way to doing that. And obviously they've, 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 uh, they've hit a milestone that, you know, we've struggled to, to hit in the past with the five years now. So they're, uh, they're well on their way to doing that too. So, you know, this culture here, it's, 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 uh, it's a blue collar culture. It's hard nosed and it's fast and it's aggressive and it's in your face. And um, it's slowly starting to really, really get a foothold again. And, and, uh, and I'm just really glad to see it. How did you experience the weekend? I know, I mean, you're a fan now. I know you're an ex-ball player. You're just a year removed and, and I know you have duties in the booth that you're, you're working towards and all that stuff, which is really cool. But how did you experience the weekend for the first time ever? You kind of had a, a, 
a different seat at the game. How did you feel? I mean, <laughs> we we were hollering and screaming like crazy people. I, I know, I know that you you probably had a similar experience, but uh, just just very curious to how how you uh, a fan perspective now that you're not a player. Yeah, so uh, we were. I was actually coaching in Lake Charles, where I was coaching a little 13 year old team, and I coached with a, a a couple other alumni, so uh, Craig Shambo and Caleb Adams. So those are the two guys that I coach with. Uh, so some of y'all know me the. Some of the, some of y'all know may know the names may recognize the names and and so uh, Caleb was riding back with me on the way home on on, uh, on Sunday so Caleb had the the game on his phone and I'm in the driver's seat and I'm I'm checking the checking the phone every 15 seconds and so when it started getting down to the ninth inning you know I'm I almost wrecked three times I almost had to pull over a couple times and 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 finish watching the game but uh, you know we were jumping up as much as you could jump up and down in a car we were jumping up and down in a car and. And again, it's the it's it's the fraternity, it's the brotherhood that you know. At the end of the day, uh, you know, you could stay here for a fall, you could stay here for a year, you could stay here for four or five, six years, or whatever it may be. And and there's always going to be a little place, a little piece of this place, you know, that sticks with you. Everybody's just really, really excited and really, really, um, you know, happy to see that the Cajuns are back where they belong in in postseason baseball. So we were very, very excited. But it is different seeing it from the other side. I would much rather be playing. Um, you know, especially coming as close as we did last year, we made it to the semis and, and we're basically, you know, uh, a bunt and a, and a, and a ball and play away from, from playing for a Sunbelt championship. And, you know, that's, that's my last taste of baseball, especially in a Cajuns uniform. So that's kind of, that's a little bit, of, it, it kind of sits sour with me a little bit sometimes. And, and, uh, you know, watching the games this weekend kind of, it gave me a little deja vu, you know, I kind of put myself in that, uh, in that situation again, and I, I pictured myself, you know, because I was the winning run at the time, and I was on second base, and so I pictured myself on second base being the winning run, and 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 playing for a, a you know a conference championship or, or playing for you know to to go to a regional, and and uh, so again, it's a little bittersweet for me because I I, I kind of have a, a bad taste in my mouth about the park and about the the, the setting, uh, but I was so fired up to see him actually break through and do it because it's it's been a long time coming and it's just, you know, the, the, it's, it's just good to see Cajun baseball back in the postseason. Kind of going to the regional that we're going to be in this week. What are your thoughts about the, the draw? Do you, I know there were a lot of projections that had us in Starkville or Starkville. Listen to me that had us in Hattiesburg. God, those Southern Miss people would kill me if they heard, heard me call it Starkville. It's also uh, kind of similar though. It is. It is. It's, it's a long Dude, word. It's a, it's a it's a rowdy atmosphere in, in, in Hattiesburg. Yeah. As yeah. it is in Starkville too. So, so tell me what, what your thoughts on the draw, because they had some, some projections had us in Hattiesburg. Um, I think a couple had us in Austin. And, and of course we're, we, we pulled in, uh, we pulled A&M in college station. Would you have rather us be in a Hattiesburg or in Austin, or do you think this is a good draw for us? I think it's a tough draw for us. I mean, I would obviously much rather be in the Hattiesburg regional. I think we match up better with the teams in the Hattiesburg regional. Now, with that being said, you still have to play the games and you still have to play the cards that you're dealt. I think it's just really, really tough to go out and play one, a national seed in their home, in their home ballpark. And then two the big 12 champion in, in TCU. And so, you know, that's just, that's, that's really tough. And then you have a team like Oral Roberts who, I don't know if you look, but seven out of their nine are hitting over 300, and, you know, and they're and they're 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 hitting in the clutch, and and 
you know, they're, they're one or two bullpen arms away from really being serious. And so this is, this is, this is one of the really, really, I would have to imagine tougher regionals in the country, but you know, at the same time, you know, UL for the most part, when you get into postseason baseball, they're always going to be, you know, the underdog. And so that's what this program is built on. This program is built on being a giant killer. And so, you know, our job as Cajuns and, and this team is to go into these big towns or these big, these big schools with these big names and, and these big time fan bases and jerseys and big stadiums and all this and that, and, and, and to go handle it the Cajun way and just, and just whoop them, you know, you know, I think, I think looking back at, again, the tale of two seasons, the first half of the season, the second half, we had Hunter Moody on a couple uh, minutes ago and he was talking about grinders. And I feel like probably a little bit before him into, into the, you know, mid two thousands and late two thousands, that's when we started really embracing the grinder mentality and I think we saw that this season again, um, that we started to really grind out wins, and especially in the conference tournament. And I think that puts us at a, a little bit of an advantage this weekend, not saying that we're going to win the whole regional, but I think I'm feeling a little bit better of where we are being in that regional because of that, because of what I've seen recently in the past couple months than I think I would have at the beginning of the season. Um, I think I'd have been a lot more worried, you know, first half of the season performances, but I'm feeling a little bit better with the grind mentality that I think we're seeing them finally, you know, take hold of as a team. I, I like seeing that. Yeah. I also want to add to that. I think, I think one thing that's always been part of our culture is sort of, and Brandon, you know, this cause you play within that culture is nothing playing with nothing to lose. Um, it doesn't matter who you face. It doesn't matter where you go on the road. It doesn't matter who comes to the teak. It doesn't matter what the name on the chest says across from you. It doesn't matter. You just play your 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 game, and, and that's kind of always been our culture. Um, I have to. I, I I kind of agree with you, Nick. I feel like we're we're going in this weekend with this mindset of look. I mean, these last two games, you've beaten two ranked teams back to back that were fighting for host spots. I guess, Brennan, to add on to that, from from your perspective as a player. I guess what I'm asking is going into college station for you personally, if, if you were in this position, what would your mindset be? And, and what do you think this, I mean, I know you can't speak for the team, but what do you think the mindset is besides just win the regional? What is the approach? Yeah. And, 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 and believe it or not, I mean, everybody, everybody's in the same situation. You know, it's a little bit of a different scale, you know, the SEC and the ACCs and the big, the big tens and the big 12s, you know, they've played each other and they've played, you know, uh, a little bit more of this level, more consistently for for the for the most of their year, the most of their seasons. The smaller schools and the mid majors, they get to play them sparingly, like on the weekends or in the in the non conference play at the beginning of the years, and and so. But at the end of the day, it, it's like it's like the it's like March Madness, right? There's no way that you know any small school uh, Loyola's or you know St. Bonaventures or whoever you want to call it should go and make it to a sweet 16 or an elite eight on paper, right? On paper, it should never happen. They have to go in there and play the Louisville's and the Dukes and the Kentuckys every year. And somehow they always win, right? You still have to play the game, you know, and everybody at, at, at when the, when the first pitch, when the umpire rolls the ball out and he says, play ball, you know, it's, it's all bets are off. You don't have to be better than a and M. You don't have to be better than TCU throughout the course of the season you have to be better than A&M. You have to be better than TCU that one day that you play them. And you have to be better than them in the, and you have to be present in that moment. And so you just have to take it literally. 
the whole postseason is basically it's just a bunch of one-game seasons because if you don't win the game that you're playing, you put yourself behind. And then if you don't win that game, you're done, right? So you have to find a way to win the one game that you're playing, and then you move on to the next one, and then you have to find a way to win that one game that you're playing. And then you look back 10 games later, and you're in the World Series. You know, so it it doesn't necessarily mean – like, if I was a player, I I wouldn't approach it any differently because – and this is going to sound crazy, but the game is not like you're playing against A&M. You're playing against essentially as a hitter. You're playing against the the opposing pitcher because that's a guy that you're going to go toe-to-toe with literally every time that you step in the box. Once you hit the ball, you have no control over where it goes. And so it basically it just chalks it up as either a win or a loss between you and the pitcher. And if you have the win, you hit the ball hard, you hit the ball right at somebody, okay, you know, so what? I, I still chalk that up as a win. I'll see you back in 30 minutes. You know, and that's the that's the attitude that you need to have is that it's like it's right here and now. Let me win this pitch. Let me win this at bat. Let me win this inning. And then you keep going, keep going, keep going. Then hopefully at the end of the nine innings, you end up winning and then you move on to play whoever you're going to play in the winner's bracket game. And then if you don't win the winner's bracket game, you have to win two more and then you have to, or you have to win one more and then you got to beat the team, you know, twice. So um, you just have to you have to take it one game, one pitch at a time because everybody puts their pants on just like you. So that's how I always approached it. You know, especially going to LSU, that helped a bunch for me uh, is that I played on a big stage a lot and I played against some guys that are in the big leagues now. And I hit off of a bunch of guys that are in the big leagues now. And so nothing really phased me. It was always just a matter of like me competing against myself. And I knew that if I could, if I can compete against myself at the highest level and I expected the most out of myself and trusted my training at the highest level, I knew it was all going to take care of itself. And then obviously you do that nine times throughout the lineup. And then you, you know, you, you, you're, you got a recipe for a good day, but you just gotta, you just gotta take it one pitch, one game at a time and, 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 and live from there. But I'm glad you said that because people are so worried about the name on the chest and not the actual talent on the team. And so you've got a lot of, you know, big name teams that are saying they're going to waltz through a regional because the name on the, you know, maybe the host site team isn't as grand as, as in the conference that they play in. But I think that also works both ways because um, so many times fans and, and not necessarily players, but fans like us look at the name on a Jersey and say, Oh crap, this is going to be tough. Well, have you dug really into the stats and seen what they are and what they compare to and what their strength of schedule is versus ours and stuff like that? So I thought it was really interesting and I appreciate you saying that. When players think of it, they're thinking of winning those battles one-on-one every pitch of the game while we're thinking – you know, of names, right? Of thing, oh, this is a great pitcher. His name is this. His dad is this. The team's name is this. So I thought that was really interesting. I appreciate you pointing that out. If Coach, I remember in 2000 and 2019, this was Coach Robes last year, we opened up with Texas that year. We opened up with Texas at home. And before the uh, before the first game, before that Friday night game, uh, you know, Coach gave us his speech, and, and he was basically saying, you know, their jerseys are probably going to be nicer. They're going to be more fitted. They're going to look like a good, a really, really good and solid ball club. But he said, we're playing Texas tonight. We're not playing Roger Clemens. We're not playing Brandon Belt. We're not playing Augie Garrido. We're not playing any of those guys that have played here in the past. We're playing against the guys that are playing here right now. And so, you know, that, that kind of put it in perspective to me that I never really – you're not playing the history of the program. You're playing the Texas team that they have now. You're playing the Texas A&M team that they have right now, the the TCU that they have on Friday. You're playing that TCU lineup on Friday. You're not playing, uh, you know, the TCU teams that they've had in the past with, um, you know, Brian Howard, you know, starting on Friday nights and, 
and and you know all those those great players that they had three or four or five years ago. You know, you're you're playing against whoever shows up and steps on the line Friday night, and 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 you got to find a way to beat those guys. So it's a it, that's a cool perspective that that he told us, and that always stuck with me. You're not playing the history of the program; you're playing those guys that are that are out in front of you right now. I wanted to know what you thought about Texas A&M as a whole. If you've been able to follow them at all, I know they had a little bit of a, a rough start, but they really put it together. You know, middle of the season, going you know towards the, the conference tournament. A&M is a tough out, obviously a number five national seed, of course. But how about the home site? What what what, what does A&M look like to you? Well, look, I can tell you, I've been when I was at LSU, I've been. You know, I've been a national seed. I've had home field advantage for a regional and a super regional. And so I know what that what that brings. And, and you know, your fans are your fans, and they're awesome. And especially A&M fans, if you've never been to a game at A&M, it's, it's, it's rowdy, and the fans are right up on top of you. And, like, your dugout's here, and the fans are, like, right above your head. And they're, they're jawing at you the whole time. And they, they've, got, um, they've got, like, the bubbles. I don't know if you knew anything about the bubbles. They, they start blowing bubbles all over the place. A train comes in the back and they all throw, you know, numbers with their hands that they're guessing how many engines and yep. they're, they're yelling ball for, but you know, a little bit of what we do at, at with section A, section A and, and at the Teague and, but theirs is, theirs is magnified, you know? Um, and that's the first time that I heard that. So going over there, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough crowd. It's going to be a really, really rowdy atmosphere, especially if you match up with A&M, uh, you know, later in the weekend. Obviously, national seed that speaks for itself, right? Top eight seeds, the dudes can really play ball. Um, they're in the SEC. They're not going to be scared of anything. They've played the best of the best all year long. They got a new head coach and Jim Schlossnagel. It's his first postseason as you know in, in an Aggie uniform, but he's he's very well seasoned, you know, in in, in postseason baseball. So he's going to have his dudes ready to play. He's not scared of nothing. He's expected to be there. That's why they got him there. He's going to have his guys ready to play. Um, and the home field advantage is, 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 is huge, you know, especially the further that you go into that weekend. Cause you know, that place is going to be packed to the, to the brim with, with screaming Aggie fans, you know, but I did talk to one of, uh, I actually played with their catcher, Troy Clonch. I played with their, with their catcher up in Alaska, uh, in the Alaska summer league. And, and I was talking to him early this week and I was, you know, I was talking smack, you know, I was like, you know, Cajun's coming for you, bro. You better, you better strap it up. And, and uh, and he was saying, you know, that their offense is is really what what carried them, you know, to this point is really what's kind of got them to the finish through the finish line of the regular season. And he said, you know, the only thing that they really need to work on, or what he'd like to see them, you know, strap it up a little bit more is is on their defense. So obviously, again, they're going to be ready to play. They're they're not going to be scared of nothing. They're going to be they're going to feel comfortable at home with a coach that that is very familiar with postseason baseball. So so they're going to be ready to roll. And it's going to be they're going to be a tough draw. Whoever plays them. Let's talk a little bit about TCU, our first matchup. We played them last year. Um, I, we won that game, right, Josh? We um, we won one out of three. We won the Friday night game okay. and then lost the. And that was behind. Lost the last two. That was behind our our little our little stud that's in the Astros organization. Yes, yes, going. you are correct. Okay, now it is yeah. all coming to me. But very competitive all weekend, really. Yeah, yeah. So, looking ahead to the the game one of this regional. What similarities or differences um, have you? Do you think there are between the team that we played TCU last year versus TCU this year? I kind of try to do a stack comparison. They look a lot alike. So, just have you have you seen any differences or similarities between the two teams? 
Um, I just I, I feel like this team, this TCU team is just a lot more volatile. Like they've just been so up and so down. And when they're really up, they're really, really up. And then when they're really down, they're really, really down. And and it looks like, you know, they got hot at the right time and they've they've they ended up winning. I, I believe they won the, the conference championship, right? The conference tournament. Yep. Um no, so I'm sorry. Obviously, TCU didn't. No, they they that's, TCU I, did not. That's what caused them to not really host because they dropped both of their games in the tournament and were eliminated. Had they won, they would probably be hosting. We're not having this conversation. Yeah, they won so the regular I, season, but they went into that's what the I'm tournament. Of. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, and then my old roommate, you know, Dalton Horton, he he played here. Yeah. Uh, he's a mm-hmm. big left handed. Yeah. He was a TCU transfer. Yeah. So I talked to him. He lives in he lives in that area still. So I talked to him this week and I was, you know, I was asking him, you know, what what they look like. And he said the same thing. He said they're just so up and down. Um, but he's like they they just they're like another one. If they can get a really, really good starting outing from their pitchers. They're gonna be, they're gonna be good to go. Um, the only thing I saw, and I looked up some of their stats today, they really only have three guys offensively that are have any kind of substantial numbers at all. Everybody else is fairly average. You know, you got Tommy Seiko, uh, who's got he's hitting 350, 75 hits, twelve homers, fifty three runs. Uh, Taylor Braden, fifty two runs, ten homers, and then Elijah Nunez, he's hitting right under three hundred, but he's got fifty eight runs. So if you can limit these three guys to a like a quiet night. You're going to have a chance to win. Now, obviously, it's postseason baseball. There's a lot of stuff that it's just like, again, like March Madness. You're going to have a lot of guys that step up that, you know, may not have been in the in the, in the regular season. But, you know, if you're playing the odds and you're playing the, the scouting report game, if you can keep those three guys, you know, pretty much to, to a quiet night, uh, I mean, you're, I, I'd like to think that you're going to have a good chance to win it, you know. So let's say we do. Let's say we do exactly what you said and win that first game. What do you think is the key for us to be successful and win this this regional? Like you said, it's going to be tough. It's going to be an uphill battle, and I think it's going to be tough for all four teams uh, this weekend. But what do you think is the is the key element that we need to really focus on to to be successful in this tournament this weekend? Well, I think I alluded to it earlier. I think one is really get off to a good start on the mound, right? Our starting pitching has to give us a good start. It's got to give us at least five or six uh, to give us a good chance to win. And then on top of that, uh, or paired with that, excuse me, not letting the moment, not letting the situation and the circumstances and the atmosphere get too big for us, uh, which I don't think it will. But again, postseason baseball is just a totally different animal. And and most of these guys have not played in postseason baseball at the college level. Uh, and if they have, it's been like a junior college and they haven't, it hasn't been, you know, 10,000, 12,000 people, you know, literally right down the back of your shirt, screaming at you and yelling at you and, and wanting bad for you. So it's a, uh, everybody's juiced up. Everybody's got that, that adrenaline. Everybody's got that fifth gear, you know, waiting to happen. It's, it's uh is it the team that can play? I, I love postseason baseball because everything matters now, right? Like the, the bunts down that, you know, that you don't get, that you may not get, that you may get away with in the in in the regular season, or you may drop a game because of that. Now, if you drop a game, your season's done. So now everything matters. A good defense matters, right? Uh, executing when when called upon that matters. Getting off to a good start on the mound, executing your pitches, right? Every little thing is magnified now because there's so much on the line. Like you're in the end of your season, you know, could be tomorrow, could be on Saturday, could be on Sunday, and so everything matters. So so I think the team that can play with a clear mind, like with um, with the wherewithal and, and the understanding of their surroundings, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna play better throughout the weekend. Do you think us being a an aggressive team 
is going to benefit us this weekend, or do you think that could potentially lead to errors or putting ourselves in a bad position? Well, uh, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So um, it's what's got us to this point. And so there's no, there's no real point. There's no real reason of changing your, your whole um, game plan and your whole the way of uh, style of play. Um, you have to go in there with the style of play that got you there. And, uh, and you, and you got to give it, you got to strap it up every day and give it your best to, to win. Um, but I think it's going to help us more than hurt us because being aggressive, especially in baseball, the, the aggressor is going to win like six, seven times out of 10. So you just got to play the odds. You got to take the fight to whoever you're playing that day. You got to punch them in the mouth first. And, you know, hopefully, you know, if you can keep the pace, it'll, it'll kind of wear on them. And, you know, it's like it when we play teams that, that, you know, aren't supposed to, you know, hang around with us on paper, you let them hang around a little bit too long and, you know, it ends up coming back to bite you in the eighth and the ninth inning. And so that's, that's postseason baseball. All bets are off. Whoever shows up that day is going to win. So one last question before we let you go, you've been a Cajuns fan all your life. You played for the Cajuns. Um, You were an alum of the university of Louisiana. If you could describe Cajun Nation or the Cajun or Cajuns baseball or being a raging Cajun in one word, what would it be? Can I go two words? But two two words for one, like they're each one word, but team different ones. Is that what you're gonna say? Close. <laughs> that, that was my second one. Okay. Well, hyphenated. <laughs> I would say I would say first it would be family, second would be loyalty, and both of them fit, and both of them like I think encapsulate this whole program and this whole area, you know, as a whole. I've said this before. You can look up, and Nick's going to attest to this too. You can you can look up and and see the same people sitting in the same seats that they've been sitting in for thirty thirty five plus years, and so there's there's very few people you know or very few places that you can go that you can say that. And paired with that, it's it's everybody, uh, especially if you're from here, it helps. But you know, everybody once you get into this fraternity and once you get into this um, this team and this this atmosphere, you never leave it. I tell the guys that I've played with that weren't from here. It's like, you can stay here a day. You can stay here a month. You can stay here a year. You can stay here four years. There's always going to be a piece of Lafayette still within you, no matter where you go. And, and, and I, everybody that I've talked to thus far, like I was talking to uh, Joshua Cox, he plays for Oral Roberts and he was with us coach Diggs his first year. And he's, he's actually, he's one of the dudes over at Oral Roberts now. And, and he's all conference, I think twice now. And, and, and he's like, dude, he's like, I wish I could come in and, and, and play for y'all again. I wish I could see you guys again. He's like, I miss all of you. I miss Lafayette. I miss – and you hear that all the time. Talk to, you know, Ben Fitzgerald too uh, this this year. And he's like, man, I, I absolutely love that place. And he's like, I will be back at some point. I just don't know when. So family, loyalty, man, it's – it's uh, that's what the program's built on. That's um, the, the, the Cajun Nation, the people that come in and, and, and sit in the seats and pay in the seats. They, uh, they make this place go, man. We just, we feed off of them. Brennan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for visiting with us. Don't be a stranger and uh, hope to see you around the games. Are you, and obviously you're in the booth now, so uh, come back anytime. Yeah, most definitely, man. I'll, uh, if you guys would have me on again, I'd, I'd love to do it. I had an absolute blast.
Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ranger and Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. All right, so Hunter Moody, Cajun legend, Vernon Bro, uh, just as recent as last year, player and guy who's really plugged into the program, fantastic. What we wanted to do before we move on to the regional and everything that's ahead of us is kind of touch base on our last thoughts of of Montgomery. And I, I there was one thing that I wanted to talk about, and it came out in uh, one of the press conferences, and I don't know how widely viewed that was, so. Will Veyon, who obviously got one of the biggest hits of the weekend, put the Cajuns up uh, with his base hit. He was supposed to be pulled for C.J. Willis. And I thought it was kind of one of those moments that you can talk about for years later after a big win. It's kind of like that romantic part about baseball is Deggs goes up to Will and he says, look, I'm, I'm going to pull you for C.J. here. Uh, you know, and Will basically looked at Deggs and said, no, you're not. You're not going to pull me for CJ. So Deggs looks at the ground, looks back at Will, and he says, okay, go get him. So inevitably, he comes back, stands in the box. He has a eight or nine pitch at bat and then gets a hit. I don't know if people remember that. That was such a, there were so many things going on, and I knew I was wound up at that point. But Will stands in the box and has a really good at bat. He was, he was behind in the count for the majority of the at bat. Then he gets the hit. Uh, that was a humongous moment Sunday. Uh, but but really, if that at-bat doesn't happen, it changes the complexion of the entire weekend. It changes the complexion of how we remember that weekend. So I thought that was something worth mentioning, and I thought it was cool, one of those tough guy moments that we all remember. Uh, if you guys can remember anything that stood out, I'd love for you guys to share it, and then we'll move on to, to College Station. I'm just going to say Schultze. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else sure. to say, man. That was a legendary pitching performance that we will talk about for years on end. So that was um, that was awesome. But I'm just going back to Will, that you, earlier in the season when, when we weren't doing so well, I said, I just want somebody to get pissed off. I want somebody to step up. I want somebody to be a leader. That – Will Veyon's story is exactly what I was looking for. And I think that's exactly why we are where we are today is because we have a bunch of guys on the team doing that. And um, that's awesome, man. I, I didn't know that. So, so yeah, definitely, definitely cool story. 
Agree. And anytime people start talking about Zach Osborne, okay, that was a great pitching performance. They start bringing out names like Zach. I mean, that was unbelievable. Jerry, what you got, bud? I keep going back to it, but beating both in the semifinal and the championship game, beating two teams that are vying for regional host spots. Um, obviously, that we got to see Georgia Southern get their get the 16 seed, but you went back to back against two ranked teams that were trying to host a regional. Yeah, and you know what's funny too, um, Josh, is that talking about Texas State and and potential host. Not only did they not host, they got sent to a really tough regional, like a really hard regional. Oh, it's brutal to, to get out, out of us too. So we we're they're not going to be our fans any, anytime soon. I think we burned that bridge. We used to think of Texas State as oh, we love that program. They're just like us and want to be like them. But I don't think they're going to be too friendly with us going forward. No, we heard them. And then, you know, look at Georgia Southern, a team that we beat in the final. They still got to host, and they deserved it. I, I don't I don't want to hear anybody act like they didn't deserve it. If you look at their metrics and their nitty-gritty, they absolutely deserved to host. But, God, they got smashed. Notre Dame, who, you're going have to have to help me remember. It was Notre Dame. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. I just saw Notre Dame. I was not remember. As, Notre out. Dame was like the three seed in that regional. <laughs> Brutal. But, but yeah, no, I, I think it's great for the Sunbelt Conference to have these teams in there. If you really want to get down to it, the Cajuns winning the Sunbelt Tournament and getting the auto bid actually helped the league. If, if you think about it, in, in, in footprint, because Texas State was a shoe-in, Southern, or Georgia Southern was a shoe-in, and Coastal, even though they lost early on, they I mean, everybody kind of knew he, they were going to make it. They were RPI top 30. They were one of the hottest teams in the country, and it was basically between a two and a three seed. So you got three quality programs as at-larges, and then you had us make the tournament as the auto bid, four teams, so great. Uh, so, But but anyway, to, to start looking forward, think about all the great storylines that are going to be in College Station. People, I don't know how many people realize this, but Jim Schlossnagel was the head coach at TCU last year. He was the head coach at TCU for 18 years. He saw some of their most incredible success, probably the best run in the program's history. He leaves, goes to Texas A&M, gets paid, and then um, Sarlus, Kirk Sarlus, an old uh, Fullerton guy, if you follow, follow college baseball for a long time, he gets the job after he spent uh, some time as an assistant at TCU. Kind of brought a little bit of a West Coast flair to TCU. If you look at their numbers, you'll see what I mean. But you got to think that TCU is looking at. You got to think that TCU is looking at Texas A&M, and maybe not necessarily so worried about the Cajuns. You got to think that Matt Deggs has a, maybe a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about A&M, that he didn't get the look when they needed a coach. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there's some really interesting storylines within the regional. Yeah, I I think it's uh, and and. Also, I mean, you got to think, is A&M looking ahead of Oral Roberts? Because Oral Roberts is not a terrible baseball team. In fact, they're a pretty good baseball team. We'll talk about it in a second. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this regional. In fact, there's so much going on in this regional. I think that uh, there's an opportunity, again, as you said, for two teams, namely Oral Roberts and us, to take advantage of maybe – some of those storylines that are dominating the whole regional. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I just want to say that I'm more excited at the fact that I, I'm curious to see how we keep this momentum going. 
um, from the last two games or the last three games. Uh, I really do think we're we, we're going in with nothing to lose, and I think we're going in with a little bit of house money. I mean, that's that mentality that that we have. It's the mentality that I feel like the pressure is off on us because, you know, the the so called experts aren't expecting much from us, and usually that's when we perform the best. Um, you saw it in 2000, the Super Regional in, in in Columbia, South Carolina. You saw it in 2015 when we went to Houston, the Houston Regional as a three seed. Very similar situation to what we're seeing now. Um, that's when I feel like Raging Cajun baseball tends to shine. So I like being under the radar. I like the fact that, you know, look, do I, do I think it's a hard regional? Absolutely. I mean, you're playing the regular season Big 12 champions and you're going up against a powerhouse in the SEC, national seed. So uh, with tradition, by the way. So that that's definitely a challenge, but knowing our team and knowing our roster and knowing the players that we have and knowing the mindset, we're not going in scared. And I like that about our team. I, I think regardless of what happens at the end of the weekend, I do think that we're going to get, we're, we're, we're going to make some noise before this weekend is done, regardless of if we win this or not. I think we will make some noise and we will make our mark. Yeah, I think the I, point about, Sorry, Nick. I, I was just going to say that I think the point about playing with house money is so important for a team like us. You know, they can adopt that we shouldn't be here and they're disrespecting us. You got you got Texas A&M putting out World Series shirts already. I mean, I, I, I don't know <laughs> about awesome, you guys, but if this t- if this program doesn't understand who Matt Deggs is, I mean, that's that's just really stupid. I, I'm just t- why on earth would you give a team like the Cajuns and Oral Roberts Oral Roberts is a good team. When I was doing my research today, they kept they kept kept coming up in national rankings, up and down, offense, defense, and pitching. I mean, our Oral Roberts is a nice four seed. So I I I, I questioned the Texas A and M PR department. That wasn't very smart. <laughs> uh, j- just my opinion, but I really like the idea of momentum going our way, a little bit of house money, and you know, Deggs is going to have that fast, hard, and loose mentality. We're a dangerous team this weekend in College Station. Yeah, I'll just I'll just um, close it out by this hundred year old quote by a very uh, mysterious man who I I don't even know they call him anonymous. Scared money don't make money. Um, we'll stick with that <laughs> over this weekend, okay? That's great. Look, before we get to know the teams, I just want to give a couple of particulars. All right, Texas A and M plays at Olson Field at Bluebell Park, which you know, good for them. They got a nice national brand to go and sponsor their field. And I'm sure it's great, whatever. Uh, but it's all natural surface. I I think that already that puts us as a, as a little at a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, you know what though? At Mid, in Montgomery, we played well. I didn't think that we we didn't show any signs of of having trouble with the surface. But we have in the past because you know how it is when you play on the artificial surface. It happens. It's just natural. Uh, it's it's natural to have a little bit of an adjustment there. But we play great defense in Montgomery, so maybe it's not an issue. But they do play on a national field. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weather is almost identical. You got partly cloudy on Friday, partly cloudy on Sunday, and all sunny on Saturday. High of 90, 90, 88. Low of 71, 67, 65. Humidity at 60% all weekend. Weather's not going to be an issue. It's probably actually going to be kind of comfortable for our guys because humidity's been kind of ridiculous around here. So weather's not an issue. Playing surface doesn't seem to be an issue. 
nobody really has a, a big advantage there. So with that being said, Jerry, educate me about Texas A&M in 2022. So Texas A&M in 2022, uh, they finished the season, well, they started the season 17 and 11 uh, up until April 5th. Since then, in the middle of conference play, including some midweek games, they are 20 and 7. So they're one of the hottest teams in America right now. Uh, their overall record is 37 and 18, which allowed them to have the fifth seed. So they're the fifth national seed. Um, just some games or, or some, some notable games on their schedule this year. They actually lost the series to Penn uh, early on in the season. I think it was their second weekend at home. Lost two out of three. Uh, they lost a midweek game on March 15th to Houston, a team that we won the series against uh, here in Lafayette. They took two of three from Arkansas. They took two of three from LSU at Alex Box. Uh, they won a midweek game at, uh, against Texas State in College Station, as well as uh, U- University of Texas Arlington. So those are some notable teams that we have faced. Um, I wanted to kind of have a, a comparison, if you will, to the teams that we played. So they 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 were pretty favorable against them. Um, the last weekend series that they lost was the weekend of April 1st through the 3rd against Alabama. So they haven't lost a series in about a month and a half. Um, overall, uh, their team batting average, believe it or not, same exact batting average as the Cajuns. They're batting 288 as a team. Uh, that would be, um, let's see, for their guys. Oh, also too, they're very patient at the plate. 14th in the country based on balls, 307 walks at the plate. So, yeah, they're very patient. Uh, four guys batting above 300 uh, with one batting 298 and another batting at 297. So there's a good bunch of guys in their lineup in the with an SEC schedule batting pretty well. Uh, their key hitters, there's three of them. There's Jack Moss, who is an Arizona State transfer, batting 373. He's got a slugging percentage of 526, six home runs, 42 RBIs. Uh, another guy that stands out is Austin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Boast maybe, or Bost, Austin Boast. Uh, he's an outfielder, batting 358 with seven home runs, 35 RBIs, with a slugging percentage of 547. And they're pretty much the power hitter on the team uh, is Dylan Rock. He's a transfer from UTSA, batting 326, slugging percentage of 668, 17 home runs, 54 RBIs. So they've got some power to the top of their lineup. Again, batting three of them batting over 300. They've got 109 doubles, which makes them 83rd in the country in doubles. They've got 10 triples, which makes them 169th in the country in triples, which is actually lower than Louisiana. They've hit a total of 73 home runs, which makes them 57th in the country. And their on-base percentage is 399, uh, which is 34th in the country. They have struck out 488 times, which is 241st in the country, which is kind of confusing because their base on balls is really good, but yet they strike out a lot. So it is kind of an odd stat right there. You really don't know what you're going to get. Either they, I don't know, they're going to strike out a lot or they're going to have a lot of walks. Either or, it's a very in, intriguing stat uh, stat line there. Pitching-wise, their opponents are the teams that they faced average 258 batting average overall. Their pitching rotation has a whip of 
141, which is 51st. They're based on balls. They have 188 walks, which is 49th in the country. They've struck out 507 batters, which makes them 63rd in the country. They've given up 91 doubles, 11 triples, and they've given up 43 home runs. Their on-field percentage defensively is is, uh, 973, uh, which makes them 77th in the country in fielding. And their pitchers, there's two pitchers that stand out. Uh, Nathan Detmer, who is batting, um, batting, who's pitching a, he's got a 4.22 ERA. He's 5-2 as a starter with 15 games starting. And also Micah Dallas, who is a Texas Tech transfer. Uh, he has a 5.64 ERA. He's 5-3 uh, and three as a starter with 13 games started on the mound. Detmer has a 1.32 whip, and Micah Dallas has a 1.45 whip. So their top two pitchers are actually, they look like they're hittable. Their bullpen is average. Uh, looking at their pitching staff, they don't look like they, they, they look like, I'll put it to you like this. They look like we can, it looks like we have a chance to hit on them if we, if we play them. The main thing is, is stopping their offense. They can score runs. So overall, uh, a great hitting team, very disciplined team at the plate. Defensively, again, 973 fielding percentage, 77th in the country. They're pretty good in the field. Pitching wise, they're average. They're okay. But, um, you don't want to let them out hit you. That's the main thing. So if the bats don't come alive against a team like this, you can get behind early and, and be in trouble. And that's really what they've been able to do in these last uh, 20 to 30 games. They've they've really out hit teams is what they've done. If you look at some of their scores, they've put up a lot of runs over the last four to five weeks. So again, they're one of the hottest teams in America right now, which gives them the five seed nationally. And um, we face them. We're going to have our work cut out for them. We're going to have to beat them twice. So it's going to be an uphill challenge. Um, that's the Texas A&M Aggies for you, uh, and that's who the Cajuns might face if they beat or if Texas A&M beats Oral Roberts and the Cajuns take care of TCU on Saturday. That will be the matchup Saturday night. So just to kind of give you guys a little idea of who they are, uh, and they are a very good baseball team. You, know, I was talking about earlier about having the name across your chest and people worried about uh, brands and and instead of of players and and uh, capability we everybody should be respecting Oral Roberts they have 31 postseason appearances in their history and uh, that's compared to our 17 so that should just tell you how how solid of a program Oral Roberts is they do have a a college world series appearance back in 1978 uh, and they are a member of the summit league but their last postseason appearance was actually a couple years ago, 2018. They went 0-2 in the Fayetteville Regional. So solid program, 38-18 and 18 record this season. Um, but their RPI is, is, uh, is lacking. They're at an RPI of 105. And that's really primarily because of the competition in, in conference. Summit League is, is for, for lack of a better term, bad as far as RPI goes. Um, and so any losses that they take in conference really, really hurt their RPI this season. They are three and seven against quadrant one teams, three and oh against quadrant two teams. And then um, what, again, really hurt them is Q3 and Q4, where they have uh, 12 losses uh, in those two quadrants. And again, primarily because of the league that they play in. So that's a little bit unfortunate. But 
They do have three really good wins this season. They beat uh, Oklahoma 5-1 at home, and Oklahoma is a 19 RPI team. Oklahoma State was ranked number five at the time, and they currently have a number 10 RPI. They beat them 15-9 earlier in the season, and then they did beat Ole Miss one out of three with their RPI of 39. So those are the three best wins of the season. And and going back to what Brendan was saying about winning – a game and not a series. They're not playing Texas A&M for a series. They don't have to beat them three games. They just have to beat them one game. So if they applied the same pressure that they did to Oklahoma and Oklahoma state and Ole Miss, I think they will be very competitive in their, in their Friday night game against, against Texas A&M batting average wise, the team is batting three Oh six and they're slugging four fifty four. I think the most more impressive uh, stat is that they have six guys in their lineup batting over 300. All six of them are slugging 400 or better. So they can really swing the bats again, whether or not that's because of the competition in conference that that is yet to be seen. So we'll, we'll see if, if, um, if that holds up against a really good Texas A&M team, they do have 47 homers on the season. Now pitching wise, their team ERA a lot like us is, is just a bit over four, I think the thing that stands out to me most about this team uh, pitching wise is if they're able to score some runs against A&M and if their starting pitching gets off to a good start, they have a closer, Cade Ditton, who has insane numbers. He, he's made 23 appearances on the season. He's got a 4-0 record and a 0.44 ERA. He has given a total given up a total of four runs on 23 hits in 40 innings pitched this season. So he is really, really good. And if they put themselves in a position later in the game, uh, Friday night, and and hold Texas A&M, try to contain that offense, if they get to Cade Denton, Texas A&M is going to be in trouble. So I think that's going to be key to watch on Friday afternoon is, is – uh, how well their starting pitching does and maybe middle relief and try to get Kate didn't out there to, to shut things down for them. Um, they did average uh, 14 runs a game in their conference tournament. So again, they can definitely score runs. It'll be about their pitching on Friday and trying to uh, contain Texas A&M. So that's Cliff's notes version on or Roberts. Again, not a cakewalk for any team that has to face them in this regional, but we'll see uh, their, their, again, their strength of schedule is 225. We'll see, how true to form that batting average and that ER is versus uh, regional competition this weekend. I am not looking past Oral Roberts. No one should be, honestly. Again, they came up in way too many statistical, uh, national to statistical categories where they were way too high uh, on some of those lists. So, but again, I'm not, again, I'm not make that mistake. We, you, you do have to take into consideration the competition that they face this season, but. I don't care who you are as a reliever. If you're giving up four runs in 40 innings, you can pitch. You can pitch. Right. That's the bottom line. So I want to give a big shout out to TCU's fan podcast, uh, pretty substantial following frogs of war. If you guys want to learn more about their baseball program, please go give them a follow and, and a read. They have a really nice blog and those guys do a very nice job. I, I want to say that I appreciate them giving some feedback. I sent them some messages earlier to try to get some feedback as far as, you know, what to expect from TCU and what, you know, things that we didn't know about the program. Obviously, they're a team with a new head coach. You know, Jim Schlossnagel was there for 18 years. They hire an assistant who's been there for 10 years in Kirk Sarlus. 
a former major league pitcher, Cal State Fullerton graduate uh, back in the Fullerton heyday. So it, that's very interesting dynamic, especially considering that Kurt Sarlus is going to miss the first game against the Cajuns of the regional. He was suspended by the NCAA because of his, uh, what they called um, overly expressive outburst or some crazy stupidness like that. Uh, he was ineligible. He got thrown out against Texas. He was ineligible for the the final game in the conference tournament for for the TCU Horn Frogs, and he's going to miss. It's a two game suspension, so he'll, he's going to miss the game Friday against the Cajuns. Yeah, it was something stupid like excessive excessiveness or something. Exce- <laughs> yeah, excessive excessive. This is just so stupid. Excessive emotional outburst. Some some dumb. Uh, but to give you some interesting things that stood out to me on the nitty gritty sheet, their final RPI TCU. 36, their strength of schedule, this is non-conference and conference, 48. Their record against Q1 and Q2 was something that really intrigued me. It's 13 and 19. Now, the Big 12 has a little bit of a floor. I mean, they, they have some really ugly RPIs in that conference for a P5 or for a, you know, a larger conference baseball-wise. Uh, but but you still would con- you would think that the champion of the Big 12 regular season would be better against Q1 and Q2. So that stood out to me. Their neutral site record, six and three, something to pay attention to. Their away record, uh, something that the guys at Frogs of War pointed out to me was that they're only a game above five hundred away from Dallas. So I thought that that was very interesting, and and I, I wanted to close out the the uh, the notes with, you know, they were the top seed in the Big Twelve this year, but. You have those weird anomalies in their schedule and their strength of schedule and all this stuff. Still, the Big 12 was the number three RPI conference this season. So it wasn't a bum league. Even with some of those bad RPI programs dragging down the conference, they still had an Oklahoma State who's a host site. TCU was in the conversation up until the last couple of weeks of the season. Of course, you have Texas. You know, Baylor had a very down year, which surprised a lot of people. But there are still a lot of really good quality programs you know obviously Oklahoma made a, a regional plenty of, of quality programs in that league still uh, I mentioned Sarlus missing the game I did ask the guys uh, at Frogs of War how that changed maybe their approach on Friday if it was going to affect how the Cajuns should prepare and basically they said that their their associate head coach uh, and they call him coach Mo and I, I will butcher his name if I try to say it but it's Bill Masayo I think is how you say it uh, he's an offensive guy. He's he's kind of their digs, right? So I think that their opinion is if it does change anything, considering that it's been a week and they have a week to prepare for the game, if it does change anything, maybe some pitching decisions down the stretch out of the bullpen uh, would be really the only time that it shows up. Sarlos has been there for 10 years as an assistant. When he, again, I, this is his first year, but he was able to maintain the entire staff outside of the head coach moving on to Texas A&M, which we mentioned at the top of the segment is another very key storyline in this regional. Uh, but but the guys at TCU said, look, hey, he kept the trainers in place. He kept the assistants. He kept everybody that was anybody. So there really wasn't a, turn, a ton of, of turnover within the, the leadership roles. Now, their roster got turned over. I know they came to the Teague last year, and we got a, a decent look at TCU. Uh, but but they had a lot of roster turnover. If you look at their lineup, six of their top 10 hitters with regard to at-bats are sophomores. One of them is a freshman. Their upperclassmen, there's really only a few of them that are getting meaningful playing time, so that's important. To me, age at this point in the season 
very important. TCU kind of young. Now on the mound, they've got several upperclassmen, a couple of grad transfers, but they still have some contributing sophomores that are going to get big innings, and uh, we'll get into those names in a minute. But I just thought that the age of the team was something to note going into a hostile environment in A&M. Now, I know our game won't really reflect that, but still, you got to think that guys that know how to win have typically been in college for longer, a longer period of time than some of maybe these JUCO guys that transfer or these younger high school guys. So the expectations for TCU is one of the things that I asked about. And the, the Frogs of War guys said, look, there was some expectation because there's always expectation at TCU with their resources and being in the Big 12. But they had to keep it in, into perspective. Sarloose has taken over for the first year. They had the roster turnover that we mentioned. And you know, this was a team that wasn't really expected to be a two-seed in the regional, uh, in the postseason in a regional, and they definitely weren't expected to win the league. So they're thrilled about where they're at as a program, and it, it speaks to their, their longevity. This is a team that knows how to win. They expect to win. They've got some some guys that have been on winning programs. They understand that they have a winning pedigree, and they're expected to go out and get the job done. In the lineup, again, I mentioned they're young, but they do have a guy that's been there for quite a long time, Tommy Sacco. He's been a, a plus defender for many years, but apparently this year he decided he's going to hit the baseball. Hits, home, run, home runs, RPI or RBIs all up this year for him. He's an older guy, like I said, He's going to be somebody that they're going to rely on. He's got 30 stolen bases on the season. Plenty of speed. He's going to lead off for TCU. He's going to be somebody that you're going to hear his name often. So somebody that, that we need to pay attention to. Apparently, their starting rotation is deep. There's not anybody that is going to be their quote-unquote ace. Nobody's going to come out and dominate you. They're just balanced. You know, which is, we can understand that sometimes you got to adjust on the fly. And it sounds like that's what TCU did similar to how the Cajuns approached pitching this year. They kind of found the hot hand. They, they got guys that got extended out of the bullpen. You're going to start to see, as, as we continue into the preview and you see the numbers, the Cajuns and the, and the Horn Frogs actually are very similar. If you look at the numbers and you look at the way that the season progressed for each, it's very similar. Out of the bullpen, look for Luke Savage. He's the all-Big Ten, uh, excuse me, all-Big 12 first-team selection. He's been a guy TCU has has turned to when things got tough. Opponents hit 214 off of him. Uh, he does not lead the team in saves. That would be Mr. Ridge. I can't remember his first name, uh, but Ridge is a younger guy that has 10 saves on the season. So those two guys, if you want to look for a name to be looking out for, those are the guys that you want to look for. Nobody's really hitting off of these people. They've given up two home runs between the two. They're strikeout guys, you know, guys that can come in and shut the door when you have something brewing. So just a few names to, to throw out to Cajun Nation for, for us to be looking out for. A few other things that was interesting to me from a national perspective. Walks earned. TCU is number nine in the country. They've earned the ninth most amount of walks in the country offensively. They're the number eight team in the country when it comes to turning double plays. Number eight. They turned a ton of them. Their fielding percentage, number 21 in the country. They're very solid defensively. They field uh, a 978 clip for the season as a team. And they're number 32 in steals. Uh, I want to say that their attempts, I have it written down here, they're 91 of 103. That's an 88% success rate. 
running the bases as a team. I, I I don't know if I've seen a number like that. That's outrageous. Offensively, they hit 272 as a club. Cajuns hit 288. They slug 431. Cajuns are right around there. Their uh their OPS is pointy. It's, it's 816. I mean, it's pretty good for a club that doesn't score a ton of runs. That's really good. Their on base percentage 385. Strikeouts per nine. They strike out eight times. Similar to what Jerry was saying about how AM strikes out and walks a lot, TCU very much in that mold. They've hit 55 home runs, but here's the number that stuck out to me the most, and this is something that we're going to have to pay attention to. They average six walks per game. Now think about that. They average six walks per game, and if you think about our struggles as a staff, we've given up free base runners. We've walked people. We've hit people. We've balked. We have got to limit free passes this weekend if we're going to have any amount of success. Moving on to pitching and defense, their team ERA is 462, which isn't terrible, but it's worse than the Cajuns, who sneakily have had a nice ERA this season. Their whip is 1.46, Cajuns are 1.42 and number 33 in the country. So we're, we're very similar in that regard. They've got 18 saves on the season. They've only given up 31 unearned runs, which is pretty good in a very difficult conference. Uh, they strike out almost nine batters per nine, averaging about a strikeout an inning. They've given up eight hits per game. So th- their pitching is not going to give up a lot of hits. You're going to have to earn your runs. They're not going to give up a lot. Something also to pay attention to. Opponents hit 254 off of them. They've hit 64 batters this season, which is higher uh, than a lot of other teams that I did research on. I didn't see where their national rank was, but it's not great. So, again, we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to earn what we get, and it's something to keep your eye on. Maybe we lean into a pitch. Maybe we crowd the plate. Maybe that's part of the game plan. Again, I mentioned their fielding is 978. They've turned 52 double plays this season, guys. I think the Cajuns are below 30. Uh, if not below 30, right around 30. From a catcher standpoint, caught stealing 19 on 46 attempts. So the opponent has been successful 59% of the time when stealing bases. Obviously, that favors the Cajuns because we like to be aggressive. Yeah, and and going back to your double play uh, stat, that means when we get a runner on first, you can bet. He's gone. He's gone. He's going to try. They're definitely going to try to move the guy over to second because if they turn that many double plays, you have to. Got to stay out of it. And I I expect nothing less from Diggs. On paper, TCU. Now, understand that they did a lot of what they did in a conference that's RPI number three conference. It's a big conference. I get all that. By the numbers, TCU and the Cajuns, very, very similar teams. That team that visited the Teague last year, throw that out the window. It's a different team. In the same vein, the Cajuns are a totally different team, especially this season, uh, this point in the season. So TCU, Cajuns, Friday night, appointment television, appointment viewing. If you're in the if you're in the vicinity of College Station and you can get a ticket, you got you gotta get in the stadium. I mean, it's it's gonna be a zoo. I cannot believe it's been six years since we've done this. I forgot how fun it was. Looking at the teams, thinking about the atmosphere, you know, scrambling for tickets. I was told that the the rumor was that we were only allotted two hundred tickets, and if that's true, that is that is an absolute shame. Nick and I will be in the building. We're gonna have Jerry back manning HQ. I'll be there in spirit. I I actually have a new TV on my back patio, so 
I'm going to be posted up. Manning, Manning, the headquarters back home. There you Jerry's go. trying to keep Having up a, with me. He's trying to keep I, I really am. I, I'm like the RC Cola of, of Nick Domingue's dojo. <laughs> I really am. Um, but, but no, I, I you know, I, I wish I could be there, but I'll be there in spirit. But uh, no, you guys do the best you can to make some noise, man. Make that place the Teague away from home. Oh, don't worry about that. Lathing us up with a couple of brewskis. We're going to be fine. I, I'm not worried about you know, that at all. I wanted to point out a few things that you mentioned about TCU um, because they are our next opponent. But one thing that stuck out to me about them, they're, they seem very disciplined in the field. Um, the way they turn double plays. And I feel like for us, I'm curious your opinion on this. The way we play, our style offensively, the aggressiveness, we're going to make them make plays against us. Even though they field well, do you think that puts more pressure on them or that puts more pressure on us? Well, the, the entire offensive approach is to put pressure on your opponent. But but here's the thing. I, I want to say this, and I don't, I don't know if we've even talked about this, but there has been a progression in Degs as we've gone on in this season. We have played more small ball, and I feel like Nick, maybe you've seen it differently. Jerry, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we have taken fewer chances, fewer risks that were just so outrageous. Now, there were a few in the conference tournament, and there were a few down the stretch that I hated. But instead of four and five times a weekend, it was more like once and two, you know, one or two times a weekend. It feels like we 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 took more calculated risk, and we played a little bit more small ball. I think the Degs made a little bit of an adjustment to fit this team. And, I, you know, nobody's going to want to talk about that, and they're going to say, oh, well, it's just because you don't like Dex, blah, blah, blah. No, this is legit. I really think that he made a little bit of an adjustment to fit his personnel, and I think it's paid dividends. Well, look at over the past weekend. Look at his lineup. It, there was there was a lot more consistency, and if when it came to matchups, there was more consistency in the lineup based on the matchups. You saw certain guys go in based on who was pitching. And I think one thing that, you know, one thing to add in every coach, does this is once you have your players show more consistency, there's more trust in, in your players. And I think that's where I think it's all come to fruition. I think you're starting to see guys that usually, or should I say earlier in the season, wasn't as hot at the plate that are starting to get more hot now starting to get hits when it matters and getting on base more, being more disciplined at the plate. And I think that's, they've earned Deggs' trust and that's why he's letting them play more. And I've noticed more um not just consistency but more or less i feel like they're it's one thing to move around the lineup it's another thing to put them in certain spots in the lineup does that make sense like for example marshak marshak was in the nine hole over the weekend right you know who else was in the nine hole back in the day remember when ryan leonard used to be lead off and he put him in the nine hole a few times i'm starting to see that similarity because he's starting to he knows marshak is a guy that can get on base He's not, he's not a power hitter. He's not somebody that's going to hit a ball in the gap too many times. But I tell you what, if he hits something deep enough in the infield, he's going to beat you out and get, get on first base. It's those kind of little things that I find that Deggs has done that has been able to allow for more trust in certain guys at certain points of the game. And I think that works to I, – I really do think that works to our advantage. Yeah, Rob well, was always a big proponent of turning over the lineup. He'd always say yes. that. He'd want to turn over the lineup, and I think you you hit the nail on the head. The first person I ever heard refer to the nine hole as the second leadoff was Chef. 
So yeah. <laughs> that, that's happened. <laughs> right. That's that's happened for a long time. But I think shock is just mired in a slump. It happens to everybody. I, I think that he still can impact a game no matter where he is in the lineup. So I think it's an easy move to kind of bounce him around. And then you got to also think Debo, nobody's talking about how Debo just absolutely came on at the end of the season. The last month for, for Kyle DeBarge has been insanity. Look at what he did in the tournament. How many clutch hits did that kid have? I thought the best hit of the game of the championship game came whenever uh, J-Bo gets the leadoff triple. And then we get out two straight batters. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, here we go. Deja vu. Leadoff guy at third, can't score him. And Debo comes in, true freshman. Hits one over the first baseman's head. A little blooper in the right field. An RBI double. Instead of making it 5-3 to three and giving Georgia Southern the momentum back, now you got the momentum. And now even though it's still 5-4, to four, you're grinding. And you're putting more pressure on Georgia Southern. And, that, and that's when I thought, to me, that was the turning point in that game. Was Debo's clutch hit? I think it was, what, the top of the sixth, maybe? Was it the top of the sixth, top of the fifth? I think it was top of the sixth, but that clutch hit and getting that extra run in that kept the momentum on our side, which allowed us to rally and, and eventually, you know, win the game. So, I, I mean, not many times do you see true freshmen come in in a spot like that and, and, and is able to perform like that. And that was, a, I mean, that, to me, that was the turning point in the game. I'll say what Robe says. Uh, when, when a freshman gets to the postseason, he ain't a freshman no more. Don't forget, everybody, we're paired with the Louisville Regional. And I still didn't get an answer yet about how hosting a Super would factor in, but just go ahead and watch the games and root for the lowest possible seed to win the tournament so that we could have some sort of a, a, a outside chance to maybe, maybe host a Super Regional. Then I tell you what. Man, I tell you what, the standard of the diamond sports has returned. We've always prided ourselves on softball and baseball competing on a national scale and still playing in late May and early June. We have also marked our calendars on the last two weekends of May to see where each of these teams would be headed for regionals. Well, in 2022, we experienced it again, glued to our TVs, iPhones, and social media sites. So allow me to take this opportunity to give a shout out to the Raging Cajun Diamond Sports. First, I will start with softball. Going into the season, I had said that making a regional would be satisfying enough. Even though that is technically our floor for softball, it's safe to say that we had a lot of youth coming with this roster. But they were talented without a doubt. But talent and experience don't always mesh, and we saw that earlier in the year getting run-ruled by Alabama twice, getting beat two games to LSU, including a loss to Magnese on the road. There was definitely some impatience among some of the fan base because we were not reaching our normal standard as a program. But then in conference play, something started to click and our youth started to gain that experience, which poured out into the field. And then wins against the likes of Texas, Illinois, Indiana and Houston started to happen. And before you know it, we once again won the Sunbelt regular season title, as well as the Sunbelt conference tournament title. And we also got to extend our consecutive conference series wins to 73, which is currently the longest in the nation and still active today. 
And even though our season may have ended in the Clemson Regional, seeing us win a game in a walk-off fashion, as well as another win by eliminating an SEC team, was definitely satisfying and fun to watch. So to Coach Jerry Glasgow and his staff, as well as the players, congratulations on a great season, and we all look forward to seeing this young team only get better in the future and once again compete for a spot in Oklahoma City. Now on to baseball. The date was June 6, 2016. That was the last time the Cajuns played in a postseason game. That night, the Cajuns lost to the eventual national runner-up Arizona Wildcats by a score of 3-1 to one in what was the final game at the old T. Moore Field. Since then, the program is going through a roller coaster ride of events, both on and off the field. We have seen the Teague turn into one of the nicest stadiums in the country. We have experienced a pandemic that cut one of our seasons short. And it's safe to say that we haven't had the best results on the field since that night in 2016, at least to our standards. But the toughest blow was the untimely death of Coach Tony Robichaux in 2019. To a lot of us, losing Robe was kind of like losing a family member. And to this day, it's still pretty hard to think about. But the program had to go on, and in came Matt Deggs, a guy with a vision and a standard for this program that Coach Robe would be proud of. And in these three years, we have seen a team reformed in in his style. Aggressive, gritty, and with a little bit of hint of unpredictability. But what's been the most enjoyable is seeing this team grow under a project that has been active for three years starting with the 2020 COVID season followed by a 2021 season that ended in the semifinal of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, and then into this year as well. In 2022, which started out as a team with a 9-11 record, which included a conference opening sweep, ended with a 27-10 run and our first trip to the NCAA Regional in six years. And along the way, there were games that were lost that could have been won, and there were games that were won where we caught ourselves scratching our heads going, huh, we'll take it. But all in all, regardless of the coaching style, regardless of of the decision-making, and regardless of what we're used to, the goal remained the same. Roll up our sleeves, punch the card, compete, get better every day. And it all came to fruition this past weekend. When the Cajuns ended the season of our arch-rival and defending conference champion South Alabama on Friday, when they bounced the regular season champion and nationally ranked Texas State on Saturday, and when they grinded back from a five-run deficit to win the conference tournament championship on Sunday against nationally ranked and now regional host Georgia Southern to finally, after six years of waiting, punch our ticket to the postseason. I have to say, when Max Marshak caught that, that final fly ball in left center, I, along with I'm sure a lot of you, let out a loud scream in excitement and joy a scream that we all have all held in for six years. But it was also bittersweet because like Coach Deggs in the post-game interview with Top and like Jay Walker reminiscing in the press box, we all thought of one man at that moment, Tony Robichaux, and the legacy he left with this program that is still with us today. And for this to be win number 36 with the final out coming at 4.36 p.m., 
How much better could it get? And so, to Coach Matt Deggs, his staff, and the players, thank you for allowing us to share in this celebration with you. Man, I tell you what. It's great to talk championships and postseason appearances with both of our Diamond Sports once again. And kudos to both programs to not only succeeding on the field, but representing this university with the utmost class. Both of these teams understand the true meaning of that Louisiana name across the front of their jerseys. To the softball program, a job well done and seeing a young team grow before our eyes because the future definitely looks bright for you. And to the baseball team, let's once again roll up our sleeves and punch the card in College Station this weekend because Cajun Nation is behind you. Then I tell you what. I feel good about the weekend, guys. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a predictor. I'm not a prognosticator. You know, I don't do that. Uh, but I'll say, I, I do like the idea of playing with house money. I do like going to College Station. It's a little bit nostalgic. I don't know. I feel like we're going to be playing on Sunday. That's just how I feel. I, I feel like, like last weekend, I think, you know, we talk about Jacob Schultz's performance on Saturday, but I think overall... You know, I know Jeff Wilson didn't have his best game on Sunday, but if you look at BT on Friday, you look at Bo Bonds as coming in as a reliever on on Sunday against a good hitting team. I'm telling you guys, I think we can we can make some noise. I'm just happy to be here, baby. We're back. This is gonna be fun, regardless of what happens. I like it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another spectacular edition of the Raging Review Podcast. I want to thank Hunter Moody, Brennan Bro, all the sponsors, Nick and Jerry, and all of you for listening. Follow us at Raging Review on all social media platforms. Let's go win at College Station. Go! Yeah.